Hi guys, Chris here. Just here with a special episode really, I was invited onto a recent faction focus on AOS coach Anthony Magro's YouTube channel to discuss all things Sylvaneth with the new AOS 2. So I just thought I'd pull the audio from the file and release it as a special episode here um, as I had a couple of requests through Twitter to release on the feed. So it's the full audio. I haven't done anything to it. So um, you're going to hear the introductions from Anthony, etc. of myself and Liam. But yeah, it's quite a long one, about three hours. So yeah, it's we really dig into everything that is Sylvaneth and how they've evolved since AOS 1, since we did the previous So You Want to Play Sylvaneth episode through this. So I hope you enjoy. G'day hobbyists, Anthony from AOS Coach here talking to you about the faction focus that is one of my favorite armies that I'm not collecting just yet, but I'm sure the people going to talk to us about it are going to inspire the heck out of me. We are talking about Sylvaneth, we're talking about the tree people, we're talking about Alarios Chosen, and with me I have two very special guests from us in Sydney, in Australia, some of the best Sylvaneth players going around. We have Chris Welfare. Chris, how are you, legend? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year indeed. And uh, a bit of background, Chris, you've been playing Sylvaneth for a while? Yeah, I've been playing them since I think the book first came out. Um, it was the first battle time that dropped that had kind of full spell or artifacts and everything, which really just drew me in, pulled me. Um, for those who don't know me, I am the co-host of the Mortally Wounded podcast based here in Sydney, obviously originally from the UK, as you can probably tell. Um, but I've been here for the last four years and kind of in and around one of the main faces of the AOS scene, I guess, around Sydney um, since the beginning of AOS, really, um, just kind of helping helping build it and um, getting around to tournaments interstate fairly regularly. So, yeah, that's me. Awesome. And if you're not familiar with um, with the podcast, definitely check out Modelly Wounded. It is a great podcast. You can hear some real competitive but also narrative-type gaming from uh, two Aussie legends. Chris is one of them. James Mabry is another. Uh, my other guest I have is Liam the Villain. Liam. What is up, everyone? So I'm Liam um, from Shadowhammer Podcast and a.k.a. the AOS uh, Villain. Uh, me stirring up shit on the internet 24-7. Um, yeah, so I've been collecting Sylvaneth uh, since just after General's Handbook and generally just got drew by it by how awesome the army and the models look. Um, like, Kona Hunters and Dirthy were definitely my huge... Um, favorite models, um, especially the kind of hunters, they're the most epic models to look at, and still my favorite model to build and paint today. That's why I own twenty-four of them now. So, um, yeah, so pretty much, um, that's a quick little intro about me and uh, Sylvaneth. And you're also on a podcast. If people aren't listening to the yeah. podcast, yes, yeah, so Shadowhammer um, is the podcast. Um, I generally have guests from the gaming group Clan Filth um, and a couple of other guests as well joining. Um, and it's just mainly competitive AOS talk and chat, really. It's really good. Um, I enjoy doing it, and most people enjoy listening to competitive talk and a bit of shit stirring. So, yeah. So if you want to if you want to have some good commentary and some discussion, Liam is the man that creates engagement across the country. Yep. Um, so Sylvaneth is one of my favorite armies that I am not collecting, and there's so much to like about Sylvaneth that um, – I'm really fortunate to have you both on the line. And I guess, you know, I want to start off at a very, very high level. Uh, I've never read any law. Let's hypothetically imagine that. Who is the Sylvaneth? So they are the children of Alerial, quite simply. Um, but in terms of anyone that played from the old world, I guess it's kind of the dryads, uh, the treekin, 
that sort of things although the tree can have sort of been compendiumed away but um yeah it's kind of the forest spirits the forest um the forest children really um not not the wood elves they became wanderers so they're kind of separate but it's yeah the more um tree creature type and then along with um age of sigma there's kind of newer creations that are sort of half elf half trees um in the tree revenants and spite revenants um and then you've got the mid-range kind of kernel hunters which are i guess the the reimagining um the age of sigma fying um tree kin and they they're kind of smaller tree lords really that are armed with a variety of weapons um and they're kind of alarial's main bodyguards yeah um and they follow the god kernel heaps as well in the law which is cool um yeah and they're pretty much uh, yeah exactly what chris said um they have civilizations they're mainly based in gairan um but there's um in the lore and stuff you can slowly see that they like travel around to different parts of gairan and other realms as well which is really cool um and then you also have drycha drycha is also a named character in there who is a i don't know much about her old world spell old world um lore but um she's a huge character as well and she used to be a branch she used to wraith. be a branch wraith equivalent and um, but yeah, since Age of Sigmar, she's kind of she's she reminds me of a branch wraith in kind of Ripley armor. If anyone knows Alien, that's essentially what's happened. But that Ripley armor yeah. is a uh, is a tree is a tree lord. So she's kind of a branch wraith inside a big tree, um, living kind of suit of armor that's got colonies of bugs and flitter furies and things that she sends out to attack her enemies. Yeah, and yeah. there's so much lore on Sylphaneth, I think, and it's one of those things that you can imagine that across all of the mortal realms, there are trees. And so yeah. you, can own, you can imagine that, you know, no matter where you are, there's going to be some form of Sylphaneth going around, which I think is super exciting from a conversion point of view. Yeah. yeah. Also, really they cool. go through the they go through the seasons in terms of Valerial's rebirth um, and what kind of season she's reborn into um, and where where that seed kind of pod is, is planted determines her aspect so now she's emerged into the mortal realm she's in her war aspect so she's kind of going out and getting stuff done and she's angry yeah. she's awesome yeah I, I, so, sorry go on she's so pretty the model just like yeah just can't stop staring at it such an awesome model so keen to paint mine up but um yeah so yeah it's pretty much what the silver fr really so what attracted you? So, so um, Alariel has a, an amazing model and, you know, anyone that looks at that beetle and Alariel, that was uh, definitely a model that kind of drew my interest. What what else attracted you to, to the Sylvaneth? Yeah, Alariel, she's one of my top three all-time favourite Age of Sigmar models. Um, so that was, that was a huge draw once I saw that. Um, but as I mentioned before, I think the real thing that attracted me to them was at, at the time they came out, it was the first battle tome that had a full spell lore. It had artifacts, items, and it just, the play style kind of with the woods being so important and teleportation around the board due to them. And they're quite magical by nature. So it, um, it just kind of really drew me. Um, I'd always liked the wood elves but it was never really an army that i'd had before so that kind of foresty theme really kind of drew me um and that was that was what i wanted to to get in and get an, on board with the sylvaneth really um what drew me was how i think i was like playing 40k at the time and i wanted to go to aos and seeing the kind of hunters and durthu that's what drew me i was like these are epic models i would love to paint them and stuff um, they seem epic, and most people were telling me that they were like amazing in game. And since my competitive self was like, "Yep, sounds good," 
Um, and I really like collecting armies with a battle tome. Um, so the fact that it had a battle tome all wrapped up with some cool um, like synergies and strategies in it and stuff, I was like, yeah, this seems like the army for me. Especially, even though it was like probably one of the most finesse armies to start, um, it is still like an army where, like every game I'm still learning something what to do and what not to do with my army. Um, even though like some people might think they've mastered Sylvaneth, but like you can't really master Sylvaneth. Like so many things could happen which you can't control. Um, so, but we're going to talk about how we can avoid it or how we can dodge it. But that's probably what drew me was like the whole strategy part of it as well in a competitive playing field as well. And that, and that kind of really ties in nicely with like, what are the strengths of the army? And I think that's one thing for me has been the flexibility that I've watched Sylvaneth armies being played since it very first got released. I think Rob Symes had put up that video, if I remember correctly, or maybe that was General's Handbook. I remember there was a, there was a really big launch campaign around Sylvaneth and um, the army lists have changed quite a lot. Um, it's something that's always evolving. So there's a lot of flexibility, but what are what are the strengths of, of of taking sylvaneth allegiance movement like that is the hugest thing is their movement i would never um put them in a mixed order army in my opinion like i would never do it um, the tree the trees they everything is written with the trees the sylvaneth wildwoods in mind um many of the units get buffs um like minuses to hit, for example, for dryads and branch rates if they're within three of a wildwood. Um, Spirits of Death who get D3 extra attacks with their big sword if they're nearby. Um, so the wildwoods are really key, and you only get the wildwoods if you take Sylvaneth Allegiance. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's just such a key part to how the War Scrolls and the army as a whole works that you need to take Sylvaneth Allegiance really um, there's a few there's a few models that could potentially work in mixed order. Um, you're seeing more Alarials with kind of Frostheart Phoenixes because they have the same movement speed. She's a level three wizard. She can help buff those Phoenixes. It keeps her alive, that sort of thing. But um, And she's probably one of the few models in there that doesn't get any sort of bonus from being near a wood. Um, yeah. But generally, if you're taking a Sylvaneth army, you want these Sylvaneth Allegiance abilities because they're just really strong. And just, yeah. and just for somebody who hasn't uh, picked up the battle tome yet, the allegiance ability is what a free terrain piece. Is it what? What is it all about? So you start um, when the game before you roll off to pick side, like you roll your scenery and stuff. And before you guys pick sides, um, you before you roll off, you place a citadel wildwood, which could be one to three citadel bases, anything equivalent. Um, so if people who make their own homemade stuff, it has to be equivalent because it is quite a big footprint. Um, and you place that anywhere on the board, has to be one inch away from other terrain pieces, and you place it, and that's it. That's one of your allegiances. Um, you can teleport through Wildwoods. That's part of your allegiance ability, um, and you also get access to their artifacts and spell lore as well. And that's pretty much their allegiance ability wrapped up in a box, um, and pretty much that's it, really. And as Chris said, they're really reliant on the trees, so... Yeah, so I usually I have I think about seven or eight bases of trees. That's how much I rely on them, and I don't and I generally get them all on the board, and we'll explain later on. But yeah, that's generally the allegiance abilities. And and what are the the weaknesses of Sylvanus? So we talked about movement. We've uh, I think we've previously mentioned about summoning, and um, in AOS two now that you know summoning is free. Um, we've you know there's a lot of uh, summoning capabilities that we'll talk about so, soon, but 
what are some of the weaknesses that I need to either build around or at least accept by taking Sylvaneth Allegiance? You hate mortal wounds. Yeah, you they have it. they have no natural mortal wound save, and the only way of getting one into the army really is there's one command trait which can give you a six up. Um, sorry, one artifact artifact. Which, artifact which can give you a six up ward save. So obviously, with access to the the malign um, sorcery realm artifacts, there's ways to get mortal wound saves. But outside of artifacts, they don't have any. So, um, and a lot of the characters are obviously they have very good armor saves, but they die to mortal wounds quite easily. It's yeah. something that the army can actually be quite fragile outside of its woods. If a unit gets moves off to the side of a board, nowhere near a wood, so it can't escape, most of the units are actually quite slow and once they can't if they're not within three of a wildwood then they can't teleport away um so they are very very reliant on the wildwoods so while the wildwoods give them really good abilities if you play a smart opponent that knows how to kind of shut down your wildwoods in sense of um stopping you from being able to teleport because every teleport you do has to be you have to end your move at least nine inches away from any enemy models so if your opponent kind of can crowd out those wildwoods and make your teleports impossible it can actually be quite an uphill battle because they are actually quite a fragile army. Um, and if they can't move around, then they can be quite slow. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much I, what Chris said. I know when well, we've spoken in, um, we, 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 you know, we've had a really good conversation about the importance of being a one drop or, you know, a limited drop army in Sylvaneth. So if I'm a Sylvaneth player and I'm not building a list that is as minimum as, as I can possibly get, uh, I'm really increasing that chance of um, of a smart player uh, denying me or, you know, taking the first turn and rubbing up the board and um, trying to block all the good terrain spots for me to summon Wildwoods or stopping that movement shenanigans. So um, is, that, is that a fair assumption as well, that I need to get those drops down as much as possible otherwise? That is going to be a weakness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For Sylvaneth, I think it's the most important army to be a one drop or possibly two drops, depending on an ally choice. But honestly, I I, I wouldn't run anything that wasn't really a one drop. Um, it is so vital for them to go first just to be able to get the Wildwoods down onto the table in that first turn while there's still space. Because as Liam said, the bases are quite large in terms of those citadel wood bases and they always have to be placed at least one inch away from any other terrain feature or model and that includes yeah. your your own and your opponents so finding those spaces on the board once the game starts and models have been deployed and started moving can become very very hard so um you have to go first and the fact that your opponent is just going to know you're going to take first turn means that you're always deploying at a bit of a disadvantage because they can deploy knowing they're going to go second. And yeah. especially with one of the scenarios now where you actually score less points if you take the first turn, you're immediately on the back foot in terms of scoring. So relocation or first turn, if your opponent can get that objective off you, they're going to get three points and you only got one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that can be a bit of a weakness for them in, in that they have to be low drops because they have to take that first turn, in my opinion. And just yeah. to unpack something that Liam was talking about, and he said that um, he normally brings seven to eight bases. And, you know, we've only alluded to so far that, you know, at the start of the game um, when territories are, de uh, are defined, but, you know, you guys haven't started deploying yet, you get to drop some bases. That's up to one to three bases that I can drop right at the start. Yeah. But 
just to clarify for our, our viewers, uh, there are uh, inherent ways to add on additional Wildwoods um, to the board as the game progresses. Is that, is that correct? Yes. So there's an artifact. So there's uh, three, four different ways. There's Acorn of Ages, which is an artifact that gives you one free Wildwood. Um, you don't have to cast a spell. You just drop it down, but it has to be one inch away from models and one inch away from terrain. Um, and the most important part about this is it has to be within five inches of the bearer. So you just can't just plonk it anywhere you want. It has to be five inches away of the bearer. Um, and then you've got Verdant Blessing, which is a spell in the spell law. Casting value of seven. Six. And six, sorry. Six. And then we've got the Tree Lord Ancients. Um, and that one, the spell is one inch away from terrain and one inch away from models. And then we have the Durfu one, which we're not even going to bother talking about because it's useless. Um, the Tree Lord Ancient. Yeah, Trill Ancient, just useless. Um, and then the fourth one is Alarial Spell, Metamorphosis. If it goes off and you kill the enemy unit and you get a Wildwood out of it, that's it. So that's how you get more woods. Um, I wouldn't really rely on Alarial's one, but if you get it off, good on you. Yeah, Alarial's one's tricky because, again, it still has to be one away from yeah. other, mo other models and terrain, um, and you have to kill a unit with the spell. So yeah. de depending on exact, and you have to place the wood where they were standing. So it can be, um, I don't think I've ever put a wood down from killing something with a aerial spell, but, um, and yeah. the tree Lord ancient, the reasons reason Liam's saying it's basically just forget about it is it happens on a four plus, um, in your hero phase, it's good. It's not a spell. You can do it every hero phase. You could do it per tree Lord ancient you had. So it used to be really good. And I would always take one. Um, however, now they've extended the range to 24 inches, but it's the Holy only within. it's the only one the only way of summoning woods to the table that is wholly within. None of the others have to be wholly within, and there's a huge difference on with that because of how big those wildwood bases are. But the main reason that it's pretty much impossible to put it down is that it has to be placed three inches away from any other model or terrain feature, and with the size of a citadel wood base and how much kind of terrain you expect to see on an Age of Sigmar table these days. It's virtually impossible to have a space on the board that you can fit a Citadel wood with at least three inches around it before you hit any other terrain feature or model. Um, so it's, I just don't think that it's possible or practical to get one onto the table now using a Tree Lord Ancient. Yeah, like I used to always see a Tree Lord Ancient just cause Naru and also that bonus the spells, but now since I just keep taking it down like every FAQ it just gets worse and worse and worse um I've just gone like cool do I need it like now he's like the tax of Naru in my opinion which we'll explain later on but he's just generally now attacks so I think you know from what I'm hearing is that um movement's clearly one of the biggest strengths of Sylvaneth um you get this free uh Sylvaneth Wildwood that is going to really allow you to do some amazing shenanigans and we probably haven't talked talked about Awakening the Woods which we'll get to um probably later but um, a lot of Sylvaneth is, is, you know, as I'm going through list design and building my list, I definitely want to think about not just deploying those one to three, um, three pieces, but how can I get more? How can I flood on the board? What are my uh, options? Um, and how do I go about getting the, the most out of it? But also, as you guys have pointed out, some of them aren't as reliant as, as some of the others. So um, maybe let's dig, dig a little bit deeper into that whole list building. So um, Wildwood's clearly important. Um, let's start on top with HQ. Let's start talking about heroes. If I'm building my army, 
you know, what are the types of heroes that I'm going to probably choose or what should I think about choosing um, as opposed to some of the others? Before we get started on this, um, sorry about the airplane that's flying over. Um, but before we get started, I just want to remind people, it's your hobby. Do rule of cool models. So what we're saying here, don't feel like, oh, it's the best thing ever, but I don't like the models. Um, I myself, when I was doing list building with welfare for my harvest boon list, which we'll talk about later on, I hate it. I don't like the branch faith models. So I made my own. So you don't, when we're listening to this, just get some cool creative ideas because you can literally make whatever. Um, but generally when it comes to heroes, I love Durthu um, just because he's a nice combat beast and also his base size is really good when you have a particular trait like Warsinger to extend the um, trait and uh, Branch Wraiths for summoning Dryads and um, and Chris will probably tell you about this tactic which is his favorite, the Branch Witch Bomb. Um, a Branch Witch is really good to have um, just because you can, if you get the right spells off and the buffs and everything, um, she can do some serious amount of damage on the battlefield. Um, so those are the heroes that I mainly look at. Um, I no longer look at Tree Lord Ancient. Um, I don't look at Drycher anymore. And I do look at Alariel, but she is a heavy point cost and you have to build a list around her. That's just my thing with um, list building when it comes to heroes. Like those three are the main ones I look at. So yeah. Yeah, I think um, most of my lists now, this is an important thing I think to talk about in terms of the changes that Sylvaneth have gone through through the editions through kind of AOS 1 and then now into AOS 2, they've sort of seen a big resurgence coming into AOS 2. Um, they dropped off quite a lot at the end of AOS 1. But now with AOS 2 um, and summoning being included in their points cost, Alarial has become much more viable now. Uh, she has a once per game free summoning mechanic, which generally you're probably bringing about 200 points to the table with um, yeah. extra. So her 600 point cost was quite prohibitive before for a named character you couldn't give her a command trait you couldn't give her items and as we'll talk about more the artifacts are extremely strong in sylvaneth and you have access to a lot of them so taking a hero that couldn't use one was is quite a big downside um but now she effectively is 400 points because she brings 200 odd points to the table through her summon um, her once per game command ability is also incredible. Um, it allows the entire army to reroll to wound. So that's very strong. Yeah. Um, she's a level three wizard as well. And so now with malign sorcery, um, she has access to, if you have access to realm spells and things like that, she, she's a level three wizard. She moves 16. She has a three up save and 16 wounds. She has huge damage output, um, potential as well. So I, I personally put her in every list right now because I think she's really worth it. Yeah, I've only put her in a couple of lists just because I like the model and stuff. But um, yeah, Chris has some good points on like why to take her. But I myself, I just haven't gone. I need to take her all the time. But yeah. But yeah, I think... of... Sorry, Sorry go. go. No, go, Chris. In, in terms of the support heroes, I will never not include at least one Branch Wraith. I think they are the best hero that you can take for their points in the list because they're like, they're they're like not... negative 200 points now because they just summon 10 dryads a turn yeah so they the spell on their war scroll lets you set up a unit of 10 dryads into a wildwood um within range it's there's restrictions around that but the fact that as liam said they can essentially potentially bring on 100 points of dryads every turn um, and they only cost 80 points for a wizard. They can take an artifact, which you need to be taking at least two of the Sylvaneth ones. Um, and then they can also be a model to take a command trait just to have one 
in certain builds you just want a hero that you can use a, a bubble um to be able to charge from a command trait so i always have a branch wraith um the branch witch is also a wizard for 60 uh, for 80 points that there's tactics that you can use around them unless if you're not taking a branch witch bomb as liam mentioned before um which is around setting up with artifact choices and endless spells a, a big aoe um area of effect mortal wound output from her i would always just take a branch wraith instead of her but if you want to do that she can give you some good um area of effect mortal wound output that can actually be quite a large area even though it's on her war scroll the base effect size is only nine inches but perhaps later on we can go into the in, in in depth of what a branch witch bomb is and how you can boost the range using certain endless spells in the list and things like that um but generally i don't take the tree lord ancient anymore and i don't take dreicher because of the fact she's a named character and i don't think she has the survivability or the benefits that alarial has yeah yeah and alarial is a uh, significant points investment so uh, at the at this time of recording i think she's 600 points um, yes, you get free a, a free unit from her. Um, however, to take up essentially one third of my army, if I'm building a traditional two thousand point um, army, um, I definitely I'm, I'm restricting um, other parts of my build. So uh, yeah. something to consider. But as you guys have said as well, the branch wraith does allow me to bring on um, ten dryads a turn. So uh, it is a spell. So not every branch wraith is going to be able to bring on you know ten ten dryads a turn, but by increasing um, the amount of branch wraiths I have, uh, it's going to give me flexibility to choose which wildwood or uh, where I bring them on. Or if I, uh, you know, I played Liam uh, recently and I sniped off one of his um, his branch wraiths. He still had um, the tactical ability to had two other ones that he could bring on um, those those additional units. So um, something to consider. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like 10 dryads a turn. Like, let's just say that one dryad's alive for four turns. You have now put on 400 points on the table just in that game, and she has 80 points. She's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else we want to talk about with heroes um, for now? Um, yeah, just as I said, Dirth is a really good combat beast. If you need a combat one, um, he's definitely the way to go. Um, and also he's a huge nice target for your opponents like if you want to distract your opponent like you should just throw him in i know in our game anthony you're like why'd you throw durfu in i'm like if he's gone i'm not all that fast because like i still have all the ball control um just because he's a nice beating stick yeah and and, and may, maybe let's unpack durfu just a little bit so if i am looking for that combat beast um yeah. why is why is durfu considered a potential combat beast um, so people may know Durfu as a Durfu, so we'll explain why we explain why it's a maybe combat beast. But um, so Durfu has big sword um, is actually the strongest sword in the game. It's damage six. Um, no other sword in the game is anything more than three. So straight so six damage. He straight hits six damage when he's in full health. Then it goes down to D six and then down to D three. Just want to make that clarify. Just it's not always six. Um, and also he has a shooting range attack, which is really cool. Um, similar to a Chrono Hunter, but shorter range. Um, so when you're teleporting, it doesn't really matter because you're nine away and then you can just extend that range. It's 15 inch range, yep. Yep, um, so it's just half, so yeah, pretty much sweet. Um, and then he's 12 wounds, three up save, um, but and he also has a massive impaling talon. Um, but the cool thing is that you want Durfu around your Wildwoods because with his Guardian Sword, he gains power from regaining D3 extra attacks. 
So you could potentially do three, uh, six attacks. Hitting on threes, wounding on threes, minus two rand, six damage on full health. Um, that is super strong because not a lot of people might have a save. If you want to wipe out a horde, go for it. Like, does some serious damage. Um, and if you've got a hero that you're trying to target, um, let's just say a troll hag, for example, if I get down that troll hag to like six or less wounds and that massive impaling talent also did a wound, on a four or more or five or more, maybe I can just auto slay you. So Durf is a really good combat beast. Um, and when you add in um, Milan sorcery artifacts like Gear Strike, um, making him get plus one to hit and plus one to wound, twos and twos, minus two rend six damage, that's messed up. Just straight up messed up. So that's why he's a potential combat beast. But there's sometimes he just doesn't do it. So yeah, that's why he's a potential combat beast. Yeah. Excellent. So I think what's really cool if I'm a Silver Death player is there's no one way to build my army. I've got Alariel, I've got Durthu, I've got a whole range of characters. I'm not restricted. So um, some really cool ways to start theming my army. Um, yeah. We then kind of dig into the battle line and we started talking about Dryads, um, which if you're not Silver Death Allegiance is the only battle line um, option. But if we take Allegiance, we've got some other options. So... How do you guys like to build your, your battle line um, choices? Dryads, 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 dryads. And then summon some dryads. And summon some dryads, yeah, dryads. They are they are up there as the best battle line choice in the in like when you look at everyone else's like allegiance abilities and stuff, they are pretty messed up for what they can do. Chris, are you the same? Are you a dryad man or you 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 go down the other routes? Dryads. Um all of the the two main, I guess, Wargrove battalions that I focus on both utilize the Forest Folk Battalion, and you have to take at least three units of Dryads in that, so that's immediately my battle line sorted. Um, I think model count is really important. The fact that they're naturally minus one to hit if just one model in the unit is within three inches of a Wildwood, and that's both shooting and combat, is incredible. You can string them out and still be negatives to hit. In big units, particularly, if there's at least 12, you get plus one to save. So they're then on a four up save. If you put them in your woods, they're getting cover. So they're then on a three up save. Um, minus one to hit. Um, they make two attacks each and they have range two. So they can actually do a lot of attacks, um, especially once you start putting them into some of the battalions and you consider the bonuses that we can get onto later. Um, I think dryads are the way to go. That being said, I don't think that the spite revenants and the tree revenants are useless. They have to be taken in certain battalions. I mean, Liam always used to go down the tree revenant route right at the start in AOS one. You know, um, ten is the way to go. And they, I think they can still work. I just think people are realizing that I think points for points and wounds and number of models you get. I think the dryads are your best option. Yep. And dryads are in incredibly tough. I mean, again, as we as this is being recorded, um, you can uh, put down a Sylvaneth Wildwood on an objective. Um, you then summon up a bunch of dryads in that Wildwood, and it is very hard to shrug, uh, get them off that um, with all the minuses and uh, the additional saves, and um, they are rock-hard um, objective holders. Yep. That's why they're just dryads. Like, every time I'm running this now, I'm just going to see how many I can fit. Like how many drives can I fit? Talk, let's let's assume someone's taking a, a formation that requires them to take sp uh, sprite revs or tree revs. What's so, the what's benefits? So tree revs. Let's go with the tree rev route because um, I use them heaps. And as Anthony, you might remember when I played Naru, tree revs 
were the biggest pain in the butt for you to deal with. They usually just come in and just annoy the crap out of you. Um, with your free guild and stuff, and I know other people when they played me with Naru, they really hated the tree revs for what they did. Um, so for tree revs, I wouldn't run a unit of five, even though that's their bare minimum amount. I would run ten, um, just because they have a six inch pylon, which is super strong. Like most things with three inches, it's like it's mostly three inches. So having that six inch pylon is super strong when you're trying to get that particular character out. They have built in rend, and um, they can just potentially wipe out a character on foot by themselves for 160 points. It's just like, cool, go in, do it, and they can teleport with the horn blower um, or the musician, teleport anywhere on the board, not just within Wildwoods, anywhere on the board edge, which is super strong. So if like your opponent literally moved a bit too far forward and they left a support hero, let's say Hag Queen, like since Doors of Cain are very prominent in the meta at the moment, left that Hag Queen at the back, just teleport over, take her out. So, so that's so just to unpack that one really quickly, um, if I've taken those um, sprite revs, tree revs, tree, 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 tree revs, um, am I restricted to when I can teleport them uh, around the board, or is it like turn one only, or any turn you want? So it's great for like any of your turns, any of your, any of your turns. Phases. So do you guys find it's a valuable tool to maybe um, like a late late objective kind of challenger teleport to the back, um, especially for some of those scenarios that. Um, maybe like knife to the heart, where you kind of um, you hold both objectives, you automatically win. Or um, some of those ones that like the objective, uh, like border war, where um, the objective in my deployment zone is worth more than your one. Is that like, what do you guys? How do you guys find that? They they were amazing for those um, scenarios. Um, they always, when I was playing Naru, always won me the game um, near the end. They were like late game winners, grabbing that objective and stuff. Um, yeah, it's just any time, any of my movement phases, just teleport wherever I need to be. Um, as as people started playing me more and stuff, they started realizing to hold back a bit, um, which was good because then they're like, you're pushing your opponent back and not moving them forward. So they're just awesome threat. Similar to like how we have Stormcast who can just teleport anywhere on the board. Um, and you've got the Harpies now from Doors of Cain and stuff. So that kind of threat is looming in people's head, like that back board edge. So um, yeah, they were just amazing for what they did. Um, yeah. yeah, they are uh, useful um, in terms of objective grabbing. They are limited somewhat by the fact that you have to teleport to board edges um, to be or wildwoods. Or wildwoods, but assuming you're trying to get somewhere where you don't have a wildwood, you have to teleport and be. Every model has to be within six of the board edge. And generally, I don't think there's any scenarios where an objective will be that close to the board edge, so you won't be in range. Um, you won't be able to teleport and be in range. You'd have to teleport and then try and make a charge, which with changes like endless spells and things like that particularly chronomantic cogs and the war singer command trait which is a, a 10 inch bubble of plus one to charge the that can combo really nicely actually with tree revenants because they have once per turn they can change a dice roll for the unit um so, so they can re-roll it um no they can change Reroll. It's a reroll. Yeah, they can reroll the dice. So you're suddenly looking at maybe a six inch charge, but you can reroll one of your charge dice. So if you get a five on one of them or something, you're pretty much golden. Um, yeah, yeah. So they, they, it can then help you to teleport somewhere. If they've left a hero back, great, because that's what you need to get onto the objective by using your charge distance to cover that gap. And then you kill the hero and you take the objective. So they can be the one thing that lets you get an objective where you couldn't place a wildwood. So they do have their uses. Yeah, awesome. also, 
also like to add in that they're probably one of the only units that are under 100 points that have inbuilt rend. Like, so we're, to we're, we're talking here some some good flexibility, something that um, that uh, other units uh, that you can choose aren't going to be offering, um, especially if you're looking for that teleport shenanigans. I know, um, you know, when I, when you used to play with those Liam, um, it was this multi multi threat where I knew you were going to come from the wildwoods from the front, but I always had that um, that concern that you were going to um, bring those um, those units from my backfield, and then all of a sudden, um, if I've moved too far. Um, I, I can't defend my objective, but if I hang back and kind of wait for that threat, then I'm not advancing up the board and you're, you're going to be taking objectives from the, the front anyway. So, um, that, that making, making me force decisions, um, was always a, a very valuable asset that I, I felt you had. Yeah. 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 And that's why I ran, and as I said, unit of 10, it's just awesome. Just the six inch pile in. Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk other units. Well, are there other other units that um that I can take? Um, and are there ones that you prefer? So I guess the other battle line unit is the Spite Revenants. Um, you didn't really see these much before because again, this is one of the reasons why Silver Death has become much more prevalent since AOS two. With the recent changes, is that they made Spite Revenants battle line in a um, Sylvaneth army. So now there's one of the um, full kind of Wargrove battalions is the Dreadwood. And as part of that, you have to take at least four units of Spite Revenants. Now, when they weren't fulfilling your battle line, so you still had to take at least three units of Tree Revenants or Dryads as well, it was just too many points to make the army viable. Now that four units of Spite Revenants more than fulfills your battle line, um, requirements, you can run Dreadwoods, and Dreadwood has some awesome rules. It's a very strong Alpha Strike army if you want it to be, but it can also shut down ranged armies. So you've seen a lot of Dreadwoods suddenly start appearing on the scene because lots of people, myself included, really like the Spite Revenant models, and I always wanted to run a Dreadwood, but it wasn't really competitively viable. So just by making that simple change of allowing you to have them as a battle line option, it suddenly massively, massively opened up um the options for the army um they're not a lot of people still look past them but i actually think they're very good for um 70 points for five they have three attacks each that are fours and fours sure um but it's quite a lot of attacks but the main thing is they've got two rules one is minus one bravery to enemy units within three inches of them and then the next is that they haunt terrain so any terrain feature within eight inches of any spite revenants is haunted so any enemy unit taking a battleshot test within three of any haunted piece of terrain has to roll two dice and use the highest result. So that can be game-changing, especially against elite kind of models um, like Stormcast, Dracoline, Cab, or something like that. If if you're talking about they might lose a model on a six, um, but they won't lose it on anything else, they roll a one and they think they're great, but you say, oh, no, you need to roll two dice, and then one of them pops up a six. They're now losing a model, and that, that's huge. Um and so I think that I think that can be really useful for just kind of dying them around a bit um, and just just having them chilling out in wildwoods where they can't be shot because the wildwoods are blocking line of sight. They can hold objectives. They're haunting the terrain the whole time. So I think they've definitely got their uses. Even outside of Dreadwood, I still would put in the occasional unit in any other Wargrove because the joy with most of the Sylvaneth armies is that they will be one drop and you can fulfill the rest of your army with any Sylvaneth units you want. So you can just drop a unit of five Spite Revenants into it if you want. 
Um, so I think they're I think they're still a really good unit. What about Kurnoth? So it's probably I know it's not a battle line unit, and it's probably the only other correct me if I'm wrong unit we haven't spoken about. And I think for me as an outsider, I always see the discussion of do I arm my Kurnoths with um, swords, scythes, or bows? Um, obviously, the bows are clearly a, a shooting attack. Um, the sides and the swords are pros and cons from a combat point of view. What do you guys think about Kurnoths? What do you choose? What scenarios and why would you use the different types of Kurnoths? I love Kurnoths. What are we on about? I love them. Um, they are still by far my favorite unit in the book. Um, I just want to quickly say, I know Chris is going to disagree with me on this, but I find now with the new Sylvanef Wildwood rules, which we have not mentioned, Wildwood's now block line of sight. Just we forgot to mention that. They block line of sight. So any shooting, um, can read it on the FAQs, but the best way to explain it is if someone draws an imaginary one millimeter line to the middle of their base to um, something that's in a wildwood or near, like or crossing a wildwood, they can't see them unless they fly. Yeah. Right? Or, or or you have a shooting attack that doesn't require line of sight. So when sight. we played, we ha I had the squid gobber, which doesn't require line of sight. Line of sight. Could... You can still target them. So with Kernel Hunters at the moment, with their shooting, like the Kernel Great Bows, you generally want them in cover. So you're blocking their line of sight. So I don't find them any use at the moment in the current rule set. Like that's just my opinion. I know Chris is going to probably bring up a point of why to have them. I can already see it in his face. He just he's like, they're going like Liam, you're saying something stupid, but that's just my honest opinion. So Colonel <laughs> shooting is good, but we've got to be conscious of the wild woods and woods. not not blocking ourselves is essentially what you're saying. Not blocking yourselves. So that's why for me, most of my lists are all about combat. Um the only shooting I have is Dirthu. Just because it's a nice for me, it's a nice bonus to shoot. If that makes sense, like, be like, cool. Um, I run size one because they look beautiful. They just look cool. Um, and also minus two rend D three damage is amazing. When let's say let's say Durthu's dead. Let's just say Durthu got shot off to pieces. I still have minus two rend on the table, um, with either fifteen wounds or thirty, depending on the unit size that I've picked. Um, my instrument, so I'm still got. I can still rip into elite forces or heroes, while the dryads and branch wraiths can't do much against that. They're just bodies on the board. So that's why I run sides, um, just because bodies. But some people like running swords because constant two damage compared to D three from minus two rend. So, so consistency versus potential is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it depends on like your current meta. Like if you've got heaps of high armored armies. Um, such as like Stormcast who are buffed on a two-up save, I would take sides any day um, compared to um, swords, which minus one rend, two damage. is still pretty good. More attacks as well. Um, but it's one-inch range compared to two. So if you're running a big unit of six, all those sides are going to be in. But if you're running a six of swords, they're not all going to be in, if that makes sense. So that's why you probably run unit of three swords and then unit of six sides because the unit of six sides are literally going to churn through whatever they touch. So, yeah. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the in terms of the combat options, I think in AOS one I would have always said sides because of as Liam said, I think Ren two is very important. Uh, however, I do think there is a lot more um, ethereal units in the game now, particularly with Night Haunt, but also because of a lot of Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragons with ethereal <laughs> with ethereal amulets and things like that. There's a lot more things in the game now that are ignoring Rend. So I personally now think the swords are a better option. Um, it's a consideration I make that I have rend and no rend. I try to cro I try to have as much 
variation in rend across my army as possible. So generally, I'm always putting in Alarial into my armies. She has rend two from both her combat and her shooting attack. So I consider that my rend two. I have all my dryads as my battle line. They don't have rend. So then having rend one on the swords, I think that's fine. Um, because then if I play something that ignores my rend, okay, they're only ignoring rend one rather than ignoring rend two. I always get two damage on the swords rather than D3, and I'll always choose a flat two over a D3. I prefer the consistency. And they also get an additional attack over the sides. So I I, I personally prefer the swords now um, in terms of the combat option, but I think I still... the My play style and what I would choose, the role Colonel Thunters for me fill is that they are defensive rather than aggressive because they're quite weak when they're not in cover and they're not bunkered down, which Liam didn't mention is they have this incredible rule to re-roll their armor saves, but you have to declare in your opponent's charge phase that they're bunkering down, and then it allows you to re-roll your saves. But you declare in the charge phase, so your turn, if you don't want to charge, you can re-roll your armor saves if you're already in combat, and then in your opponent's turn, if you're going to be charged by them, you can choose to re-roll your armor saves, but you only get to pile in one inch. Yeah. But it, they start with a four-up save, so if you have them in a wood, they're on a three up re-rollable save. So they just, and they're five wounds each. So even just a unit of three, it's so hard to go through them because they have a three up re-rollable armor save and there's 15 wounds. Um, so I I like the bows because you can just sit them somewhere and they're 30 inch range and they're rend one damage D3, two shots each. They're very, very swingy, but when they go off, they go off. And Ilarial being included in the list that once per game re-roll wounds is across everything shooting and combat so it really helps to kind of buff them um and you can the most important thing is staying in or near your wildwoods and you get to do that with the bows whereas so you can always have the re-rolls whereas if you charge in with something like kernoth swords or sides you won't get the re-rolls on that turn you charge and they can actually become quite weak and then you're generally running out of your wildwoods so you're not getting the benefits of being able to teleport away again um, so that's why I prefer the flexibility of the bows. Anything else you want to add to that, Liam? Was... Nah, he's pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah like I, I think for me, um, there's a lot of flexibility and um, I've seen a few Alarial players um, will use the Kernoths to be that one summoned unit um, once per game. Um, and if I'm going down that route, um, I've got the flexibility of having um, scythe, swords, or bows that will um, work to my um, whoever I'm playing. So if I have got a Nighthorn army in front of me, I can pull out something that um, the swords, for example. But if I've got a high armor, um, high yeah, high armor Stormcast, I might go down the the um, the scythe route. So there's a lot of flexibility, and it's one thing I've loved about Kurnoth is that um, it's one unit, but there's three different ways of playing them, um, and they're such a, a great kit. Yeah. They've, yeah. And also, yeah, they've cool kits, um, awesome models. Um, yeah, I, I just run sides just because they look cool. That's just my honest taste of it. I do own 24 kind of hunters, I think, still, yeah. And I have a variety of everything, depending on whatever list. But at the moment, I just run sides. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the great thing is they're a really cool-looking unit. They... And again, they can be played flexibly, exactly like you said. You can take one unit, but run it three completely different ways. So it's an army that you can tailor to how you play. 
Um, you can play full aggro combat style, or you can play sit back defensive shooting. You can still play defensive combat if you want and just force people to come to you with maybe a branch witch bomb that's hiding behind it and you, you make them come and get you. Alarial can throw a spear from 30 inches away that people can't ignore. Um, so I think you can still use combat ones defensively as well. So, um, yeah, I think they're a great, I think they're a great unit. Um, they went up a little bit, but I think 200 is the, is the sweet spot for them in terms of points. I think it's appropriate. Um, I think so, yeah. they went, they went some 180 first edition, like first edition general's handbook, and then they bumped up to 220. That was quite a drastic change. And I think that's when we start seeing them not being in much lists now. It was mainly about bodies getting dried on the table and stuff. And then also I can kind of compare them to Skyfires, which were cheaper, but did more damage. Yeah. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, and then, so now going down to 200, it's that nice even balance where I think 180, they were a bit too cheap for what they could do in that yep. current edition and where the game was at. Um, a lot of people were saying they were broken. I remember my Naruto, I had 15 at one time of, in my army. I was like, this is messed up. Um, it was all about minimum battle line and just spam Chrono Hunters. I think it was a Chrono Hunter spam meta. Where everyone just had as many kind of hunters and Durford he could fit in. And yeah, yeah I think it was like a couple, you know, maybe a unit of bows and then like one to two units of six. Um, so Science, yeah. yeah. It was a lot of bodies, um, like a lot of Colonel Hunter bodies where everyone's like, this is overwhelming because there's so many wounds. So 200 points, I think, is perfect amount. At the time of recording this, um, 200 points is a nice balance. They're not too, not too low and they're not too high, um, especially in the current like meta that we're in at the moment so yeah but we look at 270 points for witch elves yeah <laughs> oh. so this probably is a bit of a combo question um one i wanted to ask about allies and two i wanted to ask about battalions and a lot of your battalions allows you to choose allies and there's some quite fun things you can do which i'll, I'll let you guys explain so i guess let me open that up well from a battalion point of view what do you like you know what are some of the ways we can build armies and then what does some of them allow you to do um, um you want to go chris first because i was going to talk I'll about just, i was going to say high level i think there's four or five different builds you can do at the moment that all utilize they're all one drops if you want them to be um so you've got gnarl root which encompasses a household you've got Winterleaf, which encompasses a forest folk. You've got Harvest Boon, which encompasses a forest folk. You've got Dreadwood, which encompasses an outcast battalion. And then I still think you've also got Ironbark, which again encompasses a household battalion. So I would just say they are the five viable Uber one drop battalions. And I think they can all be competitive and they can all win a tournament. And then I'll let Liam go into the detail. Yeah. So with Ironbark, for example, um, I remember when Chris and I recorded a Silver Nerf episode way, way back. I was doing my Ironbark experimenting, as I like to call it. Um, Ironbark was based off the household. But if you ever get the battle time, guys, um, the household is based on a tree lord, a branch witch, and one unit of tree revs. But to get Ironbark, you need to run two units of tree revs. Um, and what this gives is re-rolling ones to wound um, with tree revs. Um, and that's generally it. But what you can get is two Dwarden units, anything with a Dwarden keyword. Now, this is a huge thing because in allies, they actually never ally in with any Dwarden army. So they're not allied in with Caradron, Fire Slays or anything. So if you want Dwarves, if you like short, stumpy men, and you like trees at the same time, Ironbark's the way to go. Um, I think we both agreed that Caradron Overlords was a good um, add-in to it. Sorry for the plan again, guys. 
Um, due to they have Rand, they got strong shooting. Um, like I'm pretty sure I ran you know 30 Arcanaut Company with a chemist with all sky hooks. Um, and that did some serious damage. It was to the point where I literally was pointing at heroes and monsters. I'm like, I'm just going to target that. And people were just taking them off the board because it was so strong. Um, and they were a perfect replacement for Colonel Hunters in the back line, where they're just hanging out the back, shooting, lobbing shots at my opponent and just taking out damage, like taking out whatever was in front of them. And you had, I also had a Drycha, I think at the time, and she was just killing hordes. So you can do some cool stuff with it as well. So that's Ironbark in a nutshell. So yeah. if, if, I'm, if I'm someone who's thinking about uh, maybe on a Dispossessed Force or a Fireslayer yeah. Force or KO and I want to kind of transition, this is a nice nice blend. Perfect blend. Uh, it's generally yeah. generally the two Dwarden units is like one standard unit, like Arcanaut Company, your Guard Berserkers or your Warriors or etc. and one hero to buff that unit. So they're like their own little force within another force and it's still one drop. If that makes sense. They don't synergize well with Sylvaneff stuff, but they're really cool just to add in add a bit of character into it. Yeah. yeah. The other main thing that the main thing to be honest that the household battalion gives, which is what you should never forget, because you'll see it all the time in Nauru, is enemy units can't retreat from Within household three. from from household units. So once a household unit gets into combat with you, you can't retreat unless you've got some special mechanic that allows you to move out of combat that isn't a retreat you're going to be stuck there so you're seeing kind of you used to see tree lord ancients teleporting in that were ignore rend one get two down get down to maybe um a two up save root rolling ones pinning the end of the horde and just holding it there for the entire game um you see less of it now because you have to attack so a smart player will just remove casualties if you hit hard enough um and then pull themselves out of combat that way. But it's a really amazing ability that shouldn't forget about that's part of the household battalion. Um, so yeah, Iron Bark, I think, is probably the one you will see least, though. Um, as Liam said, we kind of talked about it as the best place to put a big unit of Arcanauts with Skyhooks. But now the Wildwoods blocking line of sight, I think, hamper, does hamper that build somewhat. Um, so then the other battalion that uses the household is Nauru, and this is probably the one that most Sylvaneth players have come up against. It was definitely the Sylvaneth army that was 90% of the time the one you would see in AOS 1. That is changing a lot now. Um, I think Harvest Boon and Winterleaf are taking over, but you still do see a lot of Nauru builds. Um, Nauru is the build to go to if you like magic, because... Basically, your Tree Lord Ancients, your Branch Wraiths, and your Branch Witches all get to cast an, and unbind an additional spell. And with Malign Sorcery, just having 80-point Wizards being able to cast two spells from your Branch Wraiths and your Branch Witches, that's incredibly strong. Um, so if you want to go down the route of lots and lots of spells um, to try and set off the Wildwoods, um, it's probably the other thing we forgot to mention about the Wildwoods. I was just going to say, we, we probably haven't unpacked that one. So maybe, maybe we pause for a second. What, what does that mean? Yeah, so if a spell is cast within six inches of wild, of a wildwood... Is that my matter, spell, your spell, or both spells? Doesn't matter. Any spell. So any magic cast yep. near a wildwood. Yep, within six inches. And then it doesn't matter if it gets unbound, but if it was successfully cast, then you roll a dice, and on a five-up, the wildwoods get roused by magic. And basically, any non-Sylvaneth unit within one inch of that wildwood takes D3 mortal wounds. 
which now, is which if, if i pause that for a second that's massive when we think about right at the start you know, you, uh, you both mentioned about the importance of having wildwood bases. Um, you know, Liam mentioned that he would normally bring seven to eight. And I'm sure, Chris, you have a similar number that you're dropping as many bases as possible. And we're focusing on getting that first turn to drop as many bases as possible. Let's assume we've got five to six, seven bases um, on the table by, by turn one or turn two. Yeah, we've we've got such a big sh uh, opportunity that a successfully cast spell, whether it's unbound or not, is going to do serious damage to non-Sylvaneth armies. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, so it's, it's something. It's a reason that I like Alarial even more now because she has such a big base size. What I will usually try and do is tail three separate wildwoods. If you imagine, almost like point the top half of a sun with rays of sunlight where you've got one this way, one this way, and one up in the middle. And those three tails all meet to a point where they're within six inches of Valerial's base, kind of at the bottom. If she's the center of the sun and the wildwoods are kind of the rays of sunlight going off from that. So her base is within six inches of three separate wildwoods. If you cast Chronomantic Cogs and rewind time, she can cast four spells. You can potentially do so much damage across the entire board if you get those spells off and you roll those five ups, because every time you cast a spell, you're rolling a five up for each wild wood. So you're rolling three dice. So every single time you should set off a wood. So if you yeah. cast all four spells, you should set off those woods at least four times. So you, the mortal wound output that you can do just from Malarial, and if you take a Nauru army where you're doing two spells from a Tree Lord Ancient, two spells from a Branch Wraith, another two from a Branch Wraith, another two from a Branch Witch, you can potentially just wipe the board especially against an army an elite army that doesn't have good mortal wound saves stormcast for example stormcast heroes and things like that it will just go through them wow. Wow. so so um, so really thinking about getting as many trees the importance of priority and getting that first that first um round um you're starting to kind of see as we're talking about sylvaneth more the importance of building your force around maximizing this allegiance ability which is about the wildwood another thing we forgot to mention about wildwoods is old school deadly yeah yeah we so, forgot about that um so, so old so pretty much if a unit runs or charges through or lands on a wildwood for each model not just the unit, each model you have to roll a dice for. On a roll of a one, that model is slain. This does not work for heroes and um, monsters. So um, we'll explain tactics in the end of like how I kind of like force my opponent to do it, if that makes sense. Like I know, um, Anthony, you've gone across it where I've kind of like put all my models in a way where you pretty much, if you want to charge me, you have to go through it. Like I'm tempting you to get into it. Um, so that's another thing we forgot to add in, uh, yeah. something really cool to add in with Wildwoods and shows you how important they are in the army and why, if you want Sylvanef, just run Sylvanef Allegiance because they're just so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, if, if for me, and, and, you know, I think this is the mastery of Sylvanef is a really good Sylvanef player knows how to use their bases to maximize um, their position. You know, a, a, a good a good use of Sylvaneth bases will will really put you in a strong position to win, but a really poor use of the Wildwood bases um, can really hamper you and it stops your movement. It really, you know, minimizes the abilities that you have inherently built into your force. So if you're playing against Sylvaneth, you've got to stop them as much as possible. You've got to dispel those, those casts. You've got to 
keep an eye out for, you know, not casting too closely to those bases. But at the same time, you've got to think about strategies that if we put down dryads or something like a Kurnoff Hunter uh, and there's a wood around an objective, how are you going to get that objective off that opponent knowing that um, they're so hard to take away? And if you charge, you might lose models. If you uh, cast spells, you might damage yourself. Um, mastery of those bases, boys, am I right? Is that is that critical for a Sylvan F player? Yep. Yeah, I think so. And and sorry, Liam, but that's the real reason I think I don't like the combat Colonel Thunder build where you're charging away because to get the most out of your allegiance abilities, it's all about making your opponent come to you. You put those woods down on the objectives and you make you force your opponent to come to you. Not only are they charging into the woods, possibly losing models just from the charging or running at you, but then they're in your kill zone essentially for when you then have your next hero phase and you cast all your spells and you set those wildwoods off. And also if you're playing a gun line, you hide behind those trees, you can't be shot off. Whereas yeah. if, you, if you take six sides and a Durthu, you put a tree down and then you teleport you teleport to it and then you charge away from it in front of it straight into your opponent great for them because you're not blocking their line of sight they don't have to go anywhere near your wildwoods to kill your models you can't get away from them you're basically just taking away the benefits of your own allegiance ability if you do that so i think fight in the trees as leonidas said fight in the shade and the shade is in the trees say so i say so i kind of like with me when it comes to combat things like it all depends on my opponent in a way like i would generally like i remember when like i think it was like near end of aos one when i was like slowly cutting off sylvanev i was playing super defensively where i had my kind of hunters in cover and stuff but when you have list builds such as harvest boon where it's about plus four to charge like use it like you have paid points for it if that makes sense to get that plus four charge um and also it all depends on the player that i'm playing against if i just want to hold my opponent there and just be like hey i don't feel like much of a threat is happening um, I do know when I was at Masters, I was just charging people in just so I can hold them in their thing. Because I'm like, you can't answer this to me. You don't have an answer for this. And if I can do it, do it. But if I have an opponent that goes, I have an answer for it. I don't want to get close to you. I want to make you work for it. So that was when I started like putting dryads and stuff behind the objective, being and, like behind trees and stuff, being like, cool. If you want that objective, you have to move, then charge to get more bodies on. And you would have to die and also there's dryads that you have to kill to outnumber so like as i said like we all play differently um but like when i come to looking at the kernel hunter and derfy builds that i have i paid points for combat beast and i want to use it i use it um and i do block line of sight a lot like i do know i've pissed some people off when it comes to like they go i'm gonna target derf i'm like no you can't like you can't see him so yeah I think that comes back to, you know, one of the initial points is that Sylvaneth is such a flexible army that there are so many different ways of, of building this force. And, you know, you, you mentioned it, Liam, and you said, um, you know, the rule of cool, if you like Alarial and you want Kurnoth with bows, there are so many ways you can optimize that within yeah. Sylvaneth. But if you want combat, if you want to be running, um, you know, this combo Duarden, if you, and, and you know, in Ideneth Deepkin, there is a um, allegiance. So there's a, a formation that allows you to have Sylvaneth and Deepkin. There's so many different ways you can run this army. It's, it's incredibly cool. Um, yeah. That's what I love about it. It's just flexible. And, you know, if you are a tournament player and you're chasing the meta, quote unquote, there are so many different ways you can build and play to the meta. But if you just want to build and play with your your own models, um, there's so many different ways you can do it. Awesome. Yeah. Agreed. 
Liam, what what do you think about some of the others? So we've, we we touched on a few of the others. What about things like Winterleaf? And I don't think we touched Dreadwood yet. That were some of the others that are becoming quite popular. I think uh, Winterleaf and Dreadwood will get Chris to talk about because he's turned up to tournaments with those and he's been super competitive with them. I think we should talk about Harvest Boom. Um, yeah. Harvest Boom, let's talk about that because I think Chris is currently just fixing something up. Um, so Harvest Boom is based on Forest Folk. Um, so it's about uh, Branch Wraith. So Forest Folk is the base of Forest Folk is one Branch Wraith and three units of Dryads. Um, Harvest Boom says you have to have uh, two or more, two to five, I think it is, of Branch Wraiths or two to three Branch Wraiths, one of that numbers, but you've got to have more than one. Um, and so that's pretty much it. What Harvest Boom gives you is plus one to your run and charges and plus one to your casting for Branch Wraiths only. So you've now made the Branch Wraiths super amazing and there's buffs with artifacts and stuff where you can make it even better. We can make one Branch Wraith at plus three to cast. So again, that Wildwood on the thing where it's on a uh, seven, you just got it. Going over six, you got it pretty much good. Um, so yeah, so pretty much Harvest Boon, like the kind of combo that I go with is have Durthu with um, a War Singer trait, which is plus one to charge. So now you've made a natural plus two to charge, 10 inch bubble. Um, and adding chromatic cogs with plus four. So now when you teleport through the wild woods um, and you're nine away from your opponent, you just need a five or more. That's it. And a five inch charge is so much easier than a nine inch charge. Yeah. Um, and since you've got those command points that you got from the battalions and stuff, you are just can go call me to reroll, call me to reroll. And you just into your opponent's face. And I think in Masters, I ran um, two units of 30 and one of you have 10 dryads. And two units of 30 dryads, no one had his an answer for really. Like everyone just went, like, I turned through one, shit, I got another one. Can't, can't do it. And since you're summoning heaps, because you got the plus one to cast now with the um, Harvest Boon, you just keep generating 10 bodies and you just keep teleporting into your opponent's face, just going, like, Here you go. Like, do you have an answer for now? Another 10, another 10. And your opponent's just like, I can't be bothered. So, just continuous yeah. wave of just um, pure Dryads. bodies. Yeah. yeah. So, combining, um, it, combining yeah. it with Ranu's, Ranu's Lamentary and Arcane Terrain, you're on plus three to summon Dryads, plus four to cast Silvernet spells. So, you, it's physically impossible if you get Arcane Terrain to fail the cast of Verdant Blessing to summon a wood in yeah. Harvest Moon with Rani's Lamentary because it casts on a six and you've got plus four. So you can't fail to cast that spell. And then once you've cast it in your first turn, you're at plus three to summon Dryads. So you're casting, you're summoning Dryads every turn on a four. It's yeah. it's really good. Yeah. And, and while we're talking about summoning Dryads, maybe this is some good advice for um, for players. Um, how many dryads would you guys normally have up your sleeve to summon in an average 2k battle? 30. 30. Yeah. Why Why 30? Is that because you're expecting something to die? Is that the maximum people would summon? Um, if we're looking at the game, for example, so turn one, you would summon 10. Turn two, summon another 10. Turn three, summon another 10, right? Turn four and five. I'm pretty sure either your opponent's even answered to the branch wave problem, or you've got now enough bodies where you can just summon and you want to cast other spells, such as like either Arcane Bolt to take out that hero or that unit that's now seriously wounded, or cast message. Like there's other spells that you want to play later in the game just to like do some damage later on. Like I know, like in some games now, turn four or five. I'm just playing Arcane Bolt. Like, I'm not casting to summon Dryads. I'm, like, I'm just going to get Arcane Bolt or do a Mystic Shield or do something, some damage or some buff 
where whatever I have left is going to survive to win the game because your opponent probably doesn't have an answer to the, all the extra bodies. So they're probably seriously outnumbered already. And you're just going to go nuts. And also, if you're summoning 10 Dryads on turn 4 and 5, they're not going to, like, especially turn 5, they're not going to do anything. Like, they're not going to teleport and do any shenanigans because once they're set up on that Wildwood that you've now summoned them on, they can't teleport in the following movement phase. So they're just stuck there. And same with Tauron 4, where you might just teleport them on turn 5, but, like, but now might, so it might, so you might be summoning late game to hold an objective, but definitely the, the wave attack that you were talking about earlier... Um, it's one, two, and three. Really, one, two, and three. You want to get those max bodies out and then um, play defense. To be honest, yeah. in a perfect world, you'd have fifty. Um, <laughs> but I think from from experience of playing the army enough, and as Liam said, the situations, the restrictions on summoning them, I have never needed. I don't think I've ever done it more than three times in a game, just because you've either lost your branch rate, so you can't do it. As Liam said, you always have to summon them wholly within a wildwood, and then they can't then move. So it's actually impossible to cast the same to cast the spell at the same individual citadel wood base anyway, two turns in a row, because the first turn you can just fit ten into a citadel wood base, and you can't then teleport them away. So you have no chance to move them before your next hero phase. And they have to be nine away. So if your opponent sent troops in and killed them, yes, there might be space for you to put another 10 in, but you can't summon them there because they have to be set up nine away from enemy models. So you just will not be able to, unless you've got loads and loads and loads of bases that aren't being filled, that your opponent isn't coming anywhere near, and you've always got a branch wraith close to that wildwood to set them up, you just won't realistically get more than three units down across a five-turn game. Exactly. So so note, note to self, buy a bunch of Wildwood bases, make sure I've got a, a good amount, um, five to, to eight. Um, eight, I think, is perfect. Eight, eight's, eight's the number. Perfect. It's number. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to Games Workshop, I'm buying eight bases, and I need to have at least, um, well, 30 kernel. I say 30 kernels, so yeah, that's right. That's a big battle. Uh, I, I, I want 30 Dryads unless I plan to summon more Dryads from Alarial. And so let's just say this, right? Most of the list that we're probably going to talk about is we're probably, uh, tell me if I'm wrong here, Chris, but you're probably going to have around 60 plus dryads at the start of the table. You, correct? Yeah. If you want to play Sylvan Effort, they're the top of their competitive ability at the moment, maximizing summoning and being prepared for it, I would bring 100 dryads yeah. combined in what's in your list and the extras to put on the table, especially with Alarial. You, even if you're taking minimum forest folk, I'm, I'd am i say that's one unit of 30 and two tens. Then with Alero, you bring it on 20, and then there's your 30 that you want for your branch rates across five turns. So if you can get to 100 dryads, I think that's where you're at for competitive yeah. play. All right, sweet spot is 100 dryads, whether I'm buying them, whether I'm summoning them, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Chris, you're back, and I, I wanted to talk to you about um, Dreadwood and Winterleaf, the, probably the two other uh, battalions we haven't spoken about. Yeah. Um, you're the expert. <laughs> yeah, Liam's fully went, nah, this is not mine. Drop the mic. He's like, Chris Chris is the guy. Chris Chris has done well with both of them. He's won a GT with Dreadwood, and he's won two GTs now with Dreadwood, I think. No. He's won two? He's won one won, GT. I've, I've gone 5-0 and oh at two GTs with the Dreadwood, but I didn't win the second one. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And then we also, he did super well with Masters, Australian Masters, which is the top competitive um, yeah. tournament in Australia with Winterleaf. So it's his topic. So, so Dreadwood, I've moved on from. I don't think it's the top. I think, yeah, I, th I think Winterleaf's the top. I keep flicking between that and Harvest Boom, but I think Winterleaf's the top, um, if I'm honest. But Dreadwood is all around the Spite Revenants, so you have to take an Outcast Battalion. It normally includes three units of Spite Revenants, but in Dreadwood it has to include four. So you take four units of Spite Revenants, so that's 280 points, but that fulfills all of your battle line. The Battalion is also really cheap. It's only 90 points, and then Dreadwood's only 90 points. So for 450 points, you've fulfilled your battle line, and you've got yourself a one-drop, three command points, and three artifacts. So pretty good going, 450 points, and then you can pick and choose the remaining kind of 1,500 points of your army. Um, mine was Alarial plus Durthu and then tw a unit of 20 Dryads, and then Colonel Thunters with bows um, I would bring on, I think. So it kind of just gives you that. The main thing with Dreadwood is that at the start of the first battle round, you have to determine who's going first before you make this roll. But then at the start of the first battle round, you roll a D3, and that tells you how many stratagems you get to use from a list of three. So the three stratagems are, one of them lets you redeploy any Dreadwood unit anywhere on the board, at least six inches away from your opponent. So Spirit of Durthu, I'm looking at you. Um, or Alarial, put her straight into range for Metamorphosis turn one if you wanted to, but generally Spirit of Durthu, because he's slow, but so you can just put him anywhere six away. The second one is pick up to three Dreadwood units, and they can all immediately make a move as if it were the movement phase, but they can't run. So that's great if you've got Alarial Dreitcher, maybe, because Alarial moves 16. Um, and this all happens before the start of the first turn, so you're going to be able to move again. So with Alarial, you can go 32 inches effectively on your first turn, so you can be wherever you need to be with her. Nago um, looks so unimpressed right now. <laughs> like, no, no, like, like I, I'm just thinking about. Uh, being being across from you, Chris, at the table, and it's one of these hero-based scenarios, you know, duality of death, uh, three places of power, uh, you know, arcane power. You know, we're playing these games, and, you know, all of a sudden, Alariel moves 32 inches in a, in a combination, and that's, um, that's scary as hell. Um, you know, especially if you're thinking about, you know, playing with some movement shenanigans and um, teleporting around in the bases, um, as an opponent, scares the shit out of me. Um, as a player, just gives you so much flex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the third stratagem is you can limit the range of all spells and abilities um, and missile weapons against Dreadwood units in the first battle round to 12 inches. So if you're playing a gun line, you just go, you, you put your army, you, you, know, you know how far they can move, you know the range of their weapons is going to be capped at 12. So you just add their move, add 12, sit 0.1 of an inch past that line, and you're golden. You know they can't do anything to you on that first turn. So to be honest, if we were playing three places of power, I wouldn't be using the move because Alarial's fast enough to hit that middle spot from my deployment zone anyway. I'd just be limiting the range of any of your abilities and stuff against me, and I'd just be pushing up, sitting on the objectives on my side, limiting your range, and just going, cool, well, there's not a lot you can do to me turn one. Um, but the main thing with Dreadwood is that ability to choose. And if you roll all three stratagems, then 
yeah, you're laughing. It's great. But generally, I always played for just one because you know you're always getting one. Um, so it was trying to build the list where if you got if you got two, that was that was kind of the sweet spot um, because I generally aim to move to redeploy Durthu six away and then use the move to move Dryads up the board and Alarial up the board. So the Dryads have moved 14 inches on your first turn. They can go really fast, and then Alarial's moved right across. So then Durthu and Alarial can just go an Alpha Strike anything they want to. Um, generally, I think most people were playing the Dreadwood with Dreitcher in there so that they would take her Squirmlings, move her or position her away, nuke off any kind of big screening unit, and then maybe hit with Durthu as well. Um, but the Dreadwood can just be screened out and then it generally dies because you're doing all of that combat punch most of the time with probably heroes. Some people, I think, were taking six, maybe even nine Kurnoth Hunters with sword, uh, with sides and setting them up six away and using them as your alpha punch. Um, but to be honest, I still think it kind of gets pulled apart. The way I played it was a defensive Dreadwood where I had my Kurnoth Hunters with bows and I would just use the flexibility of the... Um, stratagems depending on what i would roll that if i got them all then great i could maybe go for an alpha strike with Durthu. plus i can move Alarial, i can get into position but if i'm playing an army that's a gun line or a zinch magic heavy army that i don't want to go anywhere near i'm just going to limit its range move and shoot it um that sort of thing so the flexibility that it provides is massive if you know you can just flex for whatever you're playing um but you have to have taken units that allow you to flex and that's what i think Alarial lets you do basically because she can just lend a hand whichever way you want to do it um but i think i think the combat dreadwood is kind of a a four a four out of five wins fairly easily but then i think it would generally struggle with that that fifth game um which is why you weren't seeing many people winning with them whereas i took the more defensive approach and the two times i ran it at a competitive tournament i went five and zero with it so i think that's the way to play it but it's not dryad heavy and as we talked about at the start i think the dryads are the top the top competitive part of sylvaneth and that's where i would lead to the winterleaf yeah and and the reason we're leaning towards winterleaf and it, and this is definitely if i think about the again as a someone who's watching sylvaneth uh, as an opponent aos1 we really saw that combination of household and gnarl root aos2 kind of came in and we started seeing things like dreadwood now it's kind of shifted and you are seeing people like Laurie and there are some competitive people like yourself who are finding a lot of success with Winterleaf. Um, why Winterleaf? What do we like about it? Before we move on, we forgot to mention Naru lets you have one order wizard. Yes, the ally yeah. piece. Yeah, we just forgot to mention that. So yeah, Winterleaf, let's go. <laughs> um, so Winterleaf, well, we can mention it here because Winterleaf will say straight at the top, lets you take one any order unit. So anything you want from order, you can have. Just so if I want like an aspect of the storm or the sea, done. I can have it. Done. Want, like, if, you want want Mar if you want Marathi, I want Marathi in my list. So, uh, go yeah, on, Chris. Winterleaf is the Oprah of Sylvaneth. It's you you get a you get an aspect, you get whatever you want, you just hand it. You get it a out. frost phoenix, yeah, you, you get, get an order a... unit, you get an order unit, you get an order unit. Wow. So, yeah. Um anything you want doesn't need to be a wizard, it can just be anything. And the amazing thing from that as well, which I'm not sure if they want it to be, but as written it currently is, compendium is included in that because all the compendium stuff still has order. 
So you can take any compendium units in that as well. So um, yeah, you've got a massive range. Any Anything you want. The most common thing I think you saw Rob Zimes was one of the proponents of, I think, was the Hurricaneum. You could put that in Null Root because it's a wizard, but also you can put it in a Winterleaf, and arguably it's better in a Winterleaf because of the main ability that Winterleaf gives you, which is any hit roll of a six or more for any Winterleaf Dryad generates an extra attack. So the reason I'd say, oh, the Hurricaneum could work for that is because it has a bubble of plus one to hit. So then they're doing it on fives. But then when you factor in the fact that Dryads on their War Scroll have an ability in your turn, you can pick an enemy unit within three to Enrapture and you get plus one to hit. So even without taking a Hurricaneum, Dryads are hitting on threes and any fives and sixes are generating extra attacks. And when they have two attacks each and they have a two inch reach, even just a unit of 10 makes 21 attacks. So then when it's hitting on threes and generating extras on fives and, si like fives and sixes, you're getting 14 hits and seven extra attacks. And then if you combine that through a turn where Alarial's used her once per game command ability to reroll wounds, you then, all of those, you're wounding on fours, rerolling. So then 75% of your wound rolls are successful. And a unit of 30 Dryads, doing the math in a Winterleaf when we add the next ability, which is all Winterleaf units. This is not just your Dryads, so this is any Sylvaneth unit that you put into this army. It's only the Sylvaneth units. So not the Huracan if we put that no, in? Not that, but any of the Sylvaneth units you take get to reroll hits and wounds of one against Chaos, and that's wow. shooting and combat. So suddenly your Spirit of Durthu, Liam can talk all about this with a Gaia Strike, for example. So good is now twos and twos re-rolling ones. And if we if we think about, you know, the quote-unquote meta, um, there is definitely a high uh, propensity of chaos. Um, there will be yeah. even more with Slanish coming very quickly. Yeah. Um, so you've got a really good chance to be re-rolling ones. If you go into a five-game tournament, you can probably expect two, maybe at least two of those games against chaos. Yeah, exactly. Um, like at the moment, I've been practicing with Winterleaf, um, playing around with um, an aspect of the Storm build. Um, and the reason, and as Chris just mentioned, only the Sylvaneth get reroll hit rolls of one. Um, and the thing that I've picked for the aspect of the Storm, for example, like this is like one of the audio units that I picked was to replace my Kernophantis because it's an epic model and I really wanted to paint one. But he also has an internal buff where like, and this is what I was talking about earlier, where like, Things with internal buffs are amazing. So for him, as Magro has experienced, like models like the Aspect of Storm and Frostlock Phoenix, they have an internal buff. So Aspect of Storm on the charge, he heals, and also he gets a real hit rolls of one with his big spear. He's just a combat beast. Like that's what he does. But um, like when you're looking at order units for a Winterleaf list, I would pick things that could either help your army, like debuff your enemy, such as the Frostlock Phoenix, which we see. Heaps of Aharakhanim, um, help me out here, Chris. Um, I mean, the most the most common one I think that you see is um, made famous, I guess, now by Laurie Huggett Wild over in the UK, and he's written his rundown on the Honest Wargamer as well. Is the Winterleaf and Frostheart Phoenix because it's an order unit that going into a Magic heavy army, it's going to get its armor saves up really high, and it's going to just be able to be really fast. It plays really well with Alarial, as I mentioned before. I like it. I still think it's really strong. But the one thing to say is any of these units that aren't Sylvaneth that get put into a Sylvaneth army, either as 
normal allies or as part of an order unit or an order wizard or a Dwarden unit through the house um, through the special battalion abilities they still count as allies so therefore they can't take items they can't take magical artifacts and for me that really hurts the phoenix um i don't think it matters quite as much now because particularly there was one item the jade diadem which was just incredible on a phoenix um but now they've changed that so it only works on an unmodified six rather than a modified which is why it was so incredible but the fact that you don't get the artifact on that unit for me has actually meant that to be honest i never take an order unit in all the lists i've written all the buffs and the reroll hits of wounds of one against chaos only being able to be used by the sylvaneth units i'm just going okay i just want sylvaneth units because this buff is so strong all i want is that buff and i love all of the sylvaneth units anyway so i'm just going to take pure sylvaneth so quickly, uh, will... so quickly, yeah, Chris. So, do you reckon that right now, if I was looking at my Cancon list at the moment, you would say that take out the Eidolon, right, and put Kernophances with Sives instead is a lot stronger than the one with the Eidolon? If I'm honest, I'd probably just take a second Durthu and I'd take two Durthus. Oh my god! I'm not building another Snake Durthu. I'm not doing that to myself. So check um, out check out Liam's Twitter on Shadowhammer if you want to see some amazing conversions. Um, but I do want to give special props to a, a unit that Liam used to run a long time ago and I haven't seen for a while, which is the Lawmaster, which uh, which I think is an incredible model still. Liam, why are you laughing? I just remember our game where you <laughs> the game where I showed you the Lawmaster. So, so basically, Liam and I were playing. He had a Lawmaster. Lawmaster has an incredible spell. I think it goes off on a six that allows one unit, no, uh, no. one model. Casting value of five. Casting value of five. <laughs> Casting value of five. So, and uh, you pick one model, so not a unit, a model. And that model can re-roll all of its hits uh, and wound rolls um, for that one model. So he was doing he was doing it on Durthu with me. So the the chances of doing those six damage um, just just spikes tremendously. Um, I you know I asked him you know actually what was the conversation Liam? It was the, co the conversation was pretty easy. He goes that wizard's really amazing. How like is it just any order unit? I'm like yes. And he goes wait. So if I put that in my army, can I put it on my Carmine Dragon? And I went yeah. And he goes great. And I saw you like two three days after in the city. Day after, day after. Ran into, ran into Games Workshop. Best $23 I think I spent. Um, the, the Lawmaster is incredible. It's like 100, I think it's 140 points now. It yep, went up slightly. It's gone up. Yeah. Oh, but it's gone up finally. Stop 140 it. points. Uh, you know, if you're thinking about uh, combat potential, you've got a Durfu. Um, turning from a Durfu to a Durfu. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, um, that's, that's incredible. Because you, you used to cast on him. Then he'd go through the wild woods and then just cut sick. Also, it also includes missile weapons on Durthu. So it's not just his damage sick. So his like his shooting attack also made him just yeah. an absolute beast. Like yeah. he was just insane. He yeah. becomes very reliable. Um, mo more importantly, Alarial becomes very reliable. Um, I would be putting it in for Alarial. I, I generally, I'm moving away from taking both Alarial and Durthu in the same list. I think because I just want lots of dryads as well. And, and that's like 900 points, right? Like at yeah, the moment, that's thousand, about. Wow. Um, so like I'm always taking Alarial at the moment. Um, I'm spending some of the spare points from dropping Durthu onto endless spells, which we'll come on to. 
Um, and I'm going to be changing up to just taking, saving those points, investing them into upping my tens of drives into thirties. So I have more <sighs> than one, so I have more than one thirty, and then having endless spells so putting in branch, witch bombs back into my lists. Um, and also, yeah, taking the Lawmaster I think is a really good choice, um, for Winterleaf because for the times when you're not playing chaos, you've got those rerolls on Alarial, which is just going to be massive because she, I think does more damage than Durthu because she has, she's flat damage five. Um, and then she goes to four, three. So she scales better. She has five attacks all the time as well. She has a natural plus one to hit against like big hordes. Boards. Um, and then her hand as well, her hand attack can potentially kill anything in the game on a double six. Um, <laughs> if you get a wound through, it just kills anything. Um, and it's amazing at just killing five, six wound heroes because you roll two dice at the end of the combat phase against anything that's wounded by it. And if you roll over its wounds characteristic or two sixes, the model just dies. So if you come into a few five wound heroes, you go into a big unit and there's a, you go into witch elves and there's a hag queen nearby, for example, you can put all of her beetle attacks into the witch elves. You can put her hand attacks into the hag queen. You get one of those hand attacks through. All you have to do at the end of the combat phase is roll a six plus on two D six and the hag dies as well. So she's she's brilliant when you factor in the fact she's got three spells. She heals everything, including herself. And then her metamorphosis spell is amazing, given that it does mortal wounds at range on a four up. So I think she's I just think she's really, really good. And a lore master just makes her incredible. Yeah. And I think if I think about the formations as well, and uh, we've talked about it a few times, and I really want to drive the point home is that a lot of your formations require an additional formation. So we've talked about Nalrut and Household. We've talked about, I think, uh, you guys You guys know your, your, your formations better than I do. Yep. But that's essentially giving me two additional command points if I'm doing that. Um, I, I find that your formations are relatively well-priced. It's They're not too expensive. Um, and they're getting you're getting additional artifacts as well. So you're probably walking away with three artifacts, two command points, and obviously you kick your game off and you're at now at three, all these additional benefits. Um, you can definitely start to see how a silver meth list is, is an optimized list is going to be built. Yeah. Um, like I have seen some people try and do non-battalion silver meth um, armies, and I just haven't had much success with it. You might um, as well run mixed order if you're going to do that. But yeah. I, I, and I think this goes well with what um, Chris said was that, you know, with your um, your Eidolon, like, what's the gap? Like, if you're going to be trading off Kurnoth Hunters for um, for an allied unit and you're going to lose all of those allegiance benefits, um, well, not allegiance benefits, but that, that particular unit's not going to benefit from all of the good Sylvaneth stuff, it really needs to be strong and um, so really... Make sure, make sure that you're not wasting your points or it's not inherently already in your army somewhere. Um, yes. But again, so, we're talking competitively here. If you want to run a Marathi and you love Marathi, obviously do what you want to do. That's yeah. your your thing. Do it. So like, for example, the Eidolon for me, for example, like I just looked at the rules and the fact that I saw that he didn't have a monster keyword. So he could get lookout, sir. So you can get a minus one to hit. So when you have the drives and everything around him, minus one to hit is super strong. Um, he's 12 wounds, so a minus one to hit 12 wound hero now is amazing. And since your army has built-in terrain, you have like terrain everywhere, and you can just literally put him on a piece of terrain, have him a two-up save, minus one to hit, he's good to go. Like, he flies, 
which is annoying because that means you can get targeted, but you're just being like, hey, cool. Like, that's the main reason why I kind of had him because, like, I don't have any other way of getting a hero two up save and making him super durable. And for CanCon, and this is like why I put him in for CanCon because it lets a lot of hero based scenarios in CanCon. So I was like, cool, this is a perfect way of me just making sure I get two out of my six games an easy win. That's it. Yeah. So, so I, I, yeah, so obviously I'm not shaming you and, and, you know, it's not a bad choice. Um, and I think that's one of the, the great things about Sylvaneth and Order is that we have such a wide variety of units. But think about if you are going to take that unit, um, what are you really trying to get? And, you know, I love the idea of having something that's independent, a Marathi, an Eidolon, something that I, I don't have to worry about the synergies of my army. I can literally just, like a bullet, just shoot it at you. Well, um, Mar well Marathi is a good example because she's a level three spellcaster in small form. So she can just get the Wildwoods off just like how Lariel does. So you just go, cool, I'm just going to cast spells with Marathi and each of those Wildwoods going to go off. So she's just Sylvan over like, oi, Marathi, just do your thing, cast spells. And she's just like, yeah, okay, no problem. And just goes bang, 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 bang. And, like, and then when she's pissed off and she's in monster form, you go, okay, cool, Dirthu, you hold back, I'll fly in. So like... Rafi's actually a really good shout, in my opinion. So, yeah. So it's like your sport for choices. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I right. mean, when you when you can take any order unit and that's like 300 or something War Scrolls, then, yeah, you kind of are sport for choice, which is great. And that's another reason why I think you just see more and more Winterleaf. Um, I'll be honest, there's a unit that it's probably the only unit of multiple models that I've other than Sisters of the Thorn, actually, because that's a common one. Um, but I'm going to... I'm just going to say it. I'm going to put Chameleon Skinks into my Winter League. No. Not Chameleon Skinks. we talked earlier about Tree Revenants being useful for getting the objectives where you couldn't get a Wildwood, but how they were limited to six inches of a board edge and needing to charge. Well, Chameleon Skinks every turn can just go wherever you want them and if they get put into cover they have a three up save and yeah they're really yeah. really really good and i don't know why people haven't been doing it um but yeah my next winter leaf list has a unit of 10 million skinks and they're just gonna sit and wait and then when they need to outnumber because they can be placed anywhere on the board they can be set up within three if you want them to anywhere you look and because most objectives now are controlled with a six inch zone of control it's almost impossible to zone out nine inches away from stopping teleports while also zoning out three away from weak chameleon skinks so you talk knife to the heart it's going to be so hard for someone to just stop me taking those 10 skinks and working out oh i just need 10 models and just going bang there you go yeah so that is that's what i'm going down the route of um for the next competitive kind of build is taking out Durthu, replacing him with endless spells a branch witch bomb and chameleon skinks. That sounds disgusting. So Same. awesome. Sounds like there is lots and lots and lots of cool things you can do. And um, I think I love the idea that I can just test and play and try and build some really cool models. And um, the other thing as well is, and you guys have all seen this, like the cool thing with Sylvaneth when it comes to a hobby aspect is with these allies or these options, you can just make a cool themed Sylvaneth army however you want. Like, I remember when I was like talking to Chris about it and I said, oh, I saw like, I really like the blood sister models. I would really like to make them branch race. 
Um, and his response was, you need to make Durthu into a snake if you're going to do that. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll just get a spare Marathi kit that I have and just kit bash it together. As you do, everyone has a spare Marathi kit sitting at home. Pretty much. Anyways, um, but, like, you just got that cool aspect of hobby where, like, if you want to get a cool theme going, Sylvanev is definitely the one where it's, like, cool. I want to make, I want to do this and that. And since you have those order options, like, any order option, you can actually convert that order unit. Like, some yep. people have just, like, cool, like, I know Chris has some cool ideas on how to make a Luminarch a Sylvanev model. Like, there's just yeah, cool things. Yeah, I use Tree Lords to, like, I'm going to build a Luminarch where one of the Tree Lords is holding the actual Luminarch gun. Like he's ripped it from a Luminarch in the woods and he's you just firing the laser like a giant gun um, and stuff like that. And I've seen people putting the Hurricanum swirls again, just kind of around a Tree Lord to, to using the, the Sylvaneth model and combining it with a kit to do those cool model opportunities. Um, I myself for the Chameleon Skinks have thought about taking parts of the Chameleon Skinks and then Dryads and like having part of a Dryad body and then one Skink arm and then maybe a head and a part of a tail to kind of show that they're like their perfect, yeah. perfect mimicry rule that they're kind of blending in, but you can still yeah. tell that it's a different unit. Um, so yeah, there's definitely lots of options that you can do there. With a, you can make your whole army around that one order unit that you ally in. Yeah, which is cool. So that's why I think with this book and this army, with all those battalion options, your hobby goes to next level. Like it's not your, one of those armies that you you pick, you play with for six months, and you move on. This 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 will keep you playing as long as you want to. I think that's what I, I like about Sylvaneth. Chris and I are perfect examples. We have each have about four plus different armies. We're addicts is the best way to describe it. We go off. We like I know Chris went off and played corn for a bit, and he came back to Sylvaneth. I, I went. Coming, and, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I keep coming back to Sylvaneth. Yeah. Every time an edition changes it opens up one of the other battalions or something happens and they're in the best spot they've ever been now. Like I said, at the start yeah. of this show, there's what five of the big battalions that I think are all viable. And I just, yeah, I was trying to move on and say, look, I've done my year of order. I'm going to do a year of chaos, but I just keep coming back to Sylvaneth. I just, I love them. They're so flexible. There's so many ways to play them. I think they're really strong um, and they're just fun. They play in every phase. I think is the thing for me is yeah. they have, they have a really strong hero phase. They have a really really important strong movement phase they can have a good shooting phase they can fight really well like they can manipulate battle shock with spike revenants they literally can play in every single phase and i love it yeah um and like for me just doing flesh of courts went up went back to sylvanef went to doors of cane went back to sylvanef and now yeah now i'm doing sanesh and now i know that after sanesh i'll be like cool i still got a sylvanef army but i want to play around and do some cool stuff with because again winter leaf and nara and stuff you have so many options where you go cool i can do whatever i want so with these battalions that we've now all mentioned you're it's an army where you once you invest in it you're not going to store it or throw it out yeah 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 very true so let's talk customizing this force so i think we've we've done a really good job digging digging into the dirt of um of the the unit choices we've got a really good grasp of um, formations now it comes to the little intricacies about you know command traits and artifacts and you know spell laws that you guys are tapping into so let's start with you know allegiance ability command traits is there one that you guys go for uh, or yep. one that's stronger than others war singer war singer it's generally where i lead now yeah yeah Warsinger. So Warsinger um, is plus one to the charge rolls for within ten Sylvanus. inches. Yep. Within ten. Within, yep. within ten. So it's not wholly within, it's within ten. So you can conga line those dryads and go for gold. Great. Yeah, Sylvaneth is one of those older 
because it's an older army and it's something that they haven't changed other than the true lord ancient which is the weird thing in the faqs there's no holy within within this army the only thing really is that when you first deploy units that you uh, into the trees that you deployed off the table is every model has to be placed within three of a wildwood but even then it's within three it's not wholly within three three. you can put the back of a base there but that's the only thing anything else just lets you tail out as long as you're always within three for the unit you can tail out so um yeah the the traits are the same so war singer is 10 inch bubble you just need one part of a dryad within 10 and that you could be 30 inches away with the rest of the unit really from a conga line and just make that charge at plus one yep so the reason why we go war singer is because we when we teleport from wild woods um we're nine away um so getting plus one charge and making that an eight is so much better than a nine inch charge like anything to get that charge going off is a bonus for us and we'll take it and now with re-rolls to charge because Sylvaneth, other than outside of the Tree Lord Ancient, which I think we've both said we don't see as much, or we certainly don't rate as much anymore. They don't have an innate command ability other than a Larial, and that's only once per game. So, given that you're starting turn one really with three command points after your hero phase, you kind of you've always got a bank of two command points, and then every single turn that's increasing by one. Um, so you've got them for your reroll charges or immunity to battle shock, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, any anything that boosts that charge, given that when you do need to make the charge, and usually it's just with dryads to get onto objectives to put bodies there, um, the bonuses, the plus one doesn't sound like a lot, but then when you start combining it with um, Harvest, Harvest Boon and then Cogs, Cogs. is the main thing. Yeah, like even outside of Harvest Boon, getting plus three, so you need six-inch rerollable charges from teleports from across the board. It's, it's just really, really strong. Yeah, so that's why we rate it. Um, the one trait that most people take in edition one, I think we should mention, is Gnarled Warrior, ignoring Rend 1, which was really strong, um, because a lot of the times in the game there was not a lot of Rend 2. Um, and when you had a combination of an artifact such as Oaken Armor, and let's just say there's a classic thing, the Tree Lord Ancient, right? Classic Tree Lord Ancient in edition one. Um, he was always the general. So you had Gnarled Warrior, Oaken Armor, um, and his command ability of rerolling saves of one. So it's a two-up re-rolling one save, and I'm ignoring red one. There was just so many times where people and, were like... And he'd be in a null root household. household. So once he was in combat, you couldn't retreat from him. So, yeah, yeah that was basically the AOS-1 Sylvaneth General. It was a Tree Lord Ancient with Oaken Armor and Gnarled Warrior holding an army down and just saying, you can't... Stop you. Me. Yeah. And, and and I've been against that. And it, it's it's also frustrating because I don't want to be in combat with this two-up re-rollable thing. But yeah. the movement shenanigans that are within Sylvaneth, often I don't have a choice. And if I do get myself out of that position, um, you can just move somewhere else and tie something else up. So uh, it's, it's like a damned if I do, damned if I don't. Um, but and, again, but like it goes back said, to the flex. I like that. I actually like that that has gone away because, as you say, it's quite frustrating to play. So it could lead to a bit of a negative play experience. And a lot of people I yeah. know didn't like playing Sylvaneth at the start because that would happen and you just get all these situations where you'd lose a game to a basically an unkillable tree lord ancient that you couldn't retreat from and so that dropping out of the game to be honest in favor of another command ability which favors movement and constantly changing the flow and where models are positioned on the battlefield for me feels more fun for both myself and my opponent so i I, I like war singer for that for that point 
So it yeah. sounds like we have a clear winner. Warsinger is, um, I, I, look, there There are other ones. I think there are some yeah. that I like, um, like Gifts of Gairan, which allows you to heal. Uh, yeah. is, is, it can be very useful, but it sounds like um, Warsinger is definitely the leader when Gift it comes of, to traits. Gift of, Gairan, Gift of Gairan is the one I thought I would move on to, and I actually tried it in my master's list because I had thought combining it with Alarial, having Gift of Gairan on my Dirthu with doppelganger cloak combined with Alarial's heal would mean that both Alarial and my Durthu would both heal 2d3 wounds and the Durthu always being able to strike before my opponent could hit him knowing that he's always basically going to be damaged d6 because he's only damaged d3 when he's got two wounds left so if I was always going to heal at least two being one and one on 2d3s there was physically no way he could never not be at least d6 damage and um, it was okay for that but to be honest with the doppelganger cloak, he wasn't getting wounded. He was either getting killed in one outside of combat or he wasn't getting wounded anyway when he was in combat because he was just killing everything. And the gift of Gairan, every time I did heal with it, it did only heal me one. And I kind of just wish I'd had the flexibility of making a charge more likely or something like that. So, I think um, another cool trait, which I haven't really looked at properly, is Lord of Spites on a Durthu maybe. Um, you can reroll the first failed hit made for your general in each case. That's cool. But besides that, like... There's nothing really else that, like, Wisdom of Ancients, like, with command points and stuff, don't need it. Just if you need to make sure they don't fail Battleshock, just use command point. Remrook is cool, um, which is add two to result when you navigate through the Remrooks. Um, if you don't want him, if you really want him to get that six to move again, it's great. Yeah. But um, generally... I think you just get around that by making the charges anyway. Yeah. Like that's that's why like Warsinger just takes out all that and all the command points and stuff just takes out most of the other traits. So it's, I think it's Warsinger and Nardwoy is what you would probably look at. What do, what do we think about artifacts? So it sounds like we've got a clear winner. How we, how are we arming up our army? So maybe maybe we'll start off and ask about the inherent um, artifacts within Sylvaneth. Yeah. And I'm not going to probably pick on you guys too much and dig deep in Malign, uh, Malign Sorcery because there's a lot of choices. Um, but are there things that sit within Sylvaneth that are like a, a go-to for you? Randy's my material. Acorn of the Ages, always, 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 always. Always, always, yeah. Should be the first, the first artifact you take. In what is it? What is it? It's the, one that lets, it's the one that lets you set up a wood once per game for free in your hero phase. No dice roll required. Um, it you probably can't happens. stop it. Yeah, it automatically happens, but it's limited to the wildwood has to be set up within five. But again, it's not wholly within. So you can set up part of one base and then do a line of two bases from that. Yeah. Um, so that, that still covers quite a lot of distance. So you pretty much always know when you're setting up where you want to put that wood down. You just put you just put generally the branch wraith or branch witch that's taking it where where you know you want that wood and you know there's nothing your opponent can do to stop it if you're going first. So um yeah, the acorn, because the woods are so, so, so vital to how Sylvaneth work, that it has to be the first artifact you ever take. Yeah. And, and I, I said my material. material. Yeah. Yep, so let's add one casting rolls made for the bearer, but if they attempt to cast a Sylvaneth spell, it's plus two. Um, so how so are getting, you using that? Getting the woods off. So you give that to a branch wraith or a branch witch that has Verdant Blessing. So now you just need a um, four or more. Um, with Arcane Terrain and even Harvest Boon, it's pretty much like a two, like you can't fail. So um, it's really good. Um, and with Verdant Blessing, which we can talk on earlier, it's 18-inch uh, range, did we say, Chris? 
yeah, yeah. eighteen inch range, and it doesn't have to be Hollywood within. So you can literally make sure you can leave your opponent like with dispel range of thirty inches. Now I've been making sure that I'm out of thirty, so my opponent can't dispel it. Um, so being out of thirty, and then um, being able to just successfully cast it straight away. So like I'm like cool. So it's kind of like me saying this is my second acorn of ages, but yeah. might might fail, but generally it doesn't. So it's like cool. Here's another acorn of ages for you. Boom, another wildwood. So That's this is really it. this is really reinforcing why we're spending so many points on a formation to get that fir that that first turn um, being able to dictate and um, drop our woods, drop additional woods, summon more woods. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's why we're doing this, and um, failure to doing this definitely puts you on the back foot. It's a two yep. in it's a two in one because not only are the battalions making you one drop so that you get to go first to put your woods down, they also then give you the two artifacts that get you the woods. So you're doubling up. You have you do it because it gets you two artifacts that basically guarantee you two more woods, yeah. and then it gives you the first turn to put those two woods on the table. Whereas yeah. if you don't take them, you're not getting those two artifacts, and you're not getting first turn necessarily. So you're going to have... You're either going to go from having one wildwood on the table that you guaranteed because of your army to three wildwoods, and that's the difference. Straight away, yeah. Do you want one wildwood on the table or do you want three? And mm. the answer should always be three. Yeah. Do we still like the oaken armor? I know that was a very um, AOS one artifact. Is it still is it still valuable now? I think, I think to no. be fair, since the change to Mystic Shield from AOS two. It potentially I would look at it more than I would have looked at it in AOS 1 actually. Um, I never ever ever took it in AOS 1 because all of the things I was ever worried about in AOS 1 were doing mortal wounds on a hit roll of a 6. So mortal wounds don't care about you having plus 1 to your armor save anyway. So I would always take the Briar Sheath which was a minus yeah. 1 to hit. And the yeah. Briar Sheath... So that's all hit rolls. The minus 1 to hit for me was what made your tree lord ancient for example stay alive because anything that did mortal wounds on a hit roll of six now longer can't do mortal wounds so it can't hurt me anyway whereas if i'd increased my armor save it wouldn't have been hurting me through my armor save anyway it would have been doing mortal wounds to me so i personally don't see the oaken armor as having a place especially when you oh. consider the realm artifacts that you have available to choose from now yeah. which is a beautiful transition so what are the realm artifacts you may consider and we know you talk about doppelganger cloak which has as a, as at this particular point has now been changed so uh it's not as effective as it used to be um but what other what other artifacts or what, are, what even like what types of artifacts do you look for um from malign sorcery okay so i'm currently doing gear strike um with death Thief, plus one hit plus one wound that's making a bit more of a combat beast I do know there's some other cool artifacts out there um, for Jerthu. Um, I would say Ethereal Amulet, giving him a three up, ignoring all rend, say, like armor. So pretty much anyone who can do rend two or whatever, you go, no, and then maybe cast Mystic Shield on him. So it's a three up rerolling ones. So you pretty much made him like a vampire lord and zombie dragon just walking around going like, I'm going to stuff you up. That's another cool add-on. Um, I think, what's the other realms? What's the other realm artifacts, uh, Chris, that... Um, ignore wounds. Is it the one from the realm of fire? So yeah, the well, the um, one from Akshi. Um, I've forgotten what it's called now, but it gives you a four up. Something scales. It, yeah, oh, Ignax, 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 Ignax scales. scales. Yeah, it gives That's you a four. It, yeah. up, it gives you a four up mortal wound save, which 
given that the army otherwise has no access to mortal wound saves, can be really, it's really amazing. good. Um, yeah. It's just, if you could put it on a Lariel, then that would be the item I would take all the time, but obviously you can't. So it's okay on a Durthu, um, but you need you need to be able to heal. Um, yeah. And generally, you're just buffing his killing ability. Um, I still think the Doppelganger is useful um, for that turn when if you if you are taking an Alarial and a Durthu build and you go in with Alarial first, that turn where you just go, you still can't hit me with Durthu, that one turn is still probably enough. But I think now that change has been made, if I was going to take a, a Realm Artifact, I probably would lead into what Liam is taking and take the Gaia Strike and just make Durthu twos and twos. Yeah, really yep. increasing that that reliability of Durthu. We know how and, much he kills. And if he's out of um, Winterleaf and he's not going against Chaos, if there's damn terrain, take D3 Mortal Wounds, heal him with Regrowth from the Spell Law. Now he's twos, rerolling ones, winning on twos. Now he's just like, cool, screw you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the other artifact that, to be honest, since that change and since me taking Durthu out of my list in favor of a Branch Witch Bomb means I'm actually going to all three artifacts being Sylvaneth artifacts. So the one other that I always used to take, and this is what you take if you do the Branch Witch Bomb, so I'll explain that now, is an item called the Silverwood Circlet. And basically what it does is it adds six inches to the range of all spells that the Baron knows. So the reason you take that on a Branch Witch is because the Branch Witch signature spell on their War Scroll is called Unleash Spites. It's cast on a five, so it's quite a low value. Um, it's only got a nine inch range, but it affects all enemy units within nine inches. So if you take the Silverwood Circlet, you're adding six. So it's, so now, it's now 15. Oh, it's now 15. You can put that Branch Witch on a Bailwind, which adds six. So it's then 21. The great thing with how the Bailwind works now as well, though, is you set up the Bailwind model within an inch of the model that summons it. The Bailwind base is about five inches across. So if you set it up an inch in front of your Branch Witch, you then put the Bailwind in front of that. And then, yes, the Branch Witch goes on top, but you measure from any point of the Bailwind. So the front of that Bailwind has now moved six inches forward from where your Branch is branch which was so you've effectively got another six plus six plus six so you've got plus 18 um onto your nine so you're now hitting everything within 27 and then you can actually with the realm spells Don't, as sorry, well just just quickly with, anthony just did not look impressed <laughs> then the other thing is you go bailwind is a malign sorcery, sorcery spell. spell you've also got the portals so if you set up that um bailwind within one in within one inch of a portal, you can then extend the range by effectively another 19 inches through the portal. So you can hit, you can put that portal 19 inches away and then hit everything within 27 of that portal. And basically you hit your opponent's entire army. Um, and then if you've put throne, if you've put throne of vines right. spell on that branch, which to give it plus D three to casting values, if that bear wind is set up within one of arcane, you've got D three plus one extra to cast. You can set up the Chronomantic Cogs with a different wizard and rewind time. So in the same turn, that Branch Witch can cast Throne of Vines and then cast Unleashed Spites. Also, if it's in a Narut list, it's also casting another spell. But the the Chronomantic Cogs now lets you be able to do the Branch Witch Bomb on the same turn that you set up the Bailwind outside of Narut. Previously, the only way to do it in one turn was taking Narut. Whereas now, because of Cogs, if you cast Cogs with a different wizard and then rewind time with the Branch Witch, it lets you cast your Throne of Vines to get the additional spell up to cast your Bailwind, 
rewind the time and you can basically hit your opponent's army with plus potentially plus four to cast if you do it right and if you roll that 12 you're rolling 16 dice for every single enemy unit within a 27 inch radius that you're starting 19 inches away and it's going to be doing mortal wounds on sixes to every single unit and it's an 80 point character and if yep. you if, if you haven't set it up Alarial could be next to that portal and then she can cast metamorphosis through the portal so then suddenly you're doing metamorphosis at 35 inch threat range that's doing casting value she could throw in a vines instead four ups do mortal wounds so there's a lot that the malign sorcery has now added. Open up a, yeah using... so i want to stop stop for a second if you're watching this video on playback two things one chris drop the mic you've just wow <laughs> wow uh two two and more importantly i want you to rewind this video go back two to three minutes get your little notepad out i want you to write everything chris just said because that is uh the the thinking of a top tier age of sigma player so uh, the, that tactic is crazy um and it's... remind me never to play you with silverneth uh no, no, play no, your no, no you don't want to play with the branch witch bomb Okay. You want no, to no, no, no. I don't want to generally now. No, 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 no. Like, no, no we're done. We're done. We, we can play with corn. We can play um, shade spire like we used to, but no, no silver net there. That, that, that is that shit is bananas. Oh, and I forgot to mention if that bail, <laughs> if that bail wins behind a wildwood, there's no line of sight, so you can't shoot it off. No, no. <laughs> it's amazing. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, it's. Yeah, that's the route I'm going down is dropping the Durthu to just give me more magical support and using the woods more, setting it off, doing AoE mortals rather than sending in a Durthu. Um, just because I've done I've done the Durthu thing and I want to try a different route and that's what we've been talking about this whole show is how flexible they are. And to be honest, that's what kind of does it for me right now is I want to go down that magical route and have the chameleon skinks just popping in where I need them for getting the gold. Amazing amazing let's continue the thought pattern around endless spells we talked about cogs getting that additional spell or increasing uh the the movement by two um we've talked a little bit about bailwind and being able to extend the range of spells um is there anything else from the endless spells that's worth um thinking about for a, a silver death list pendulum why um you're telling your opponent where to go um because it never is going to go back to you so um, for me, since with Wildwoods and stuff, we're controlling the board quite well, like just telling where we're going to go and stuff. But you want your opponent to pretty much deny them where they want, where you want them to go. So if you put that pendulum out, you're pretty much going like, cool, don't get near it because you're going to do D6 mortal wounds. But like you're pretty much like, let's just say there's some Wildwoods there and you put the pendulum just alongside there. You're pretty much telling them to go around if they want to avoid the Wildwoods doing mortal wounds or deadly test. So just pretty much having that pendulum there, just going like, yep, cool. I'm just going to tell you where to go because it's never going to hit you, right? Because it's just never going to go back. It's going to go forward. And you're telling them to move around and then you can just literally follow behind it and just be like, cool, I'm just going to go and good luck coming to me because I've got a pendulum now. It's also a huge, massive screw you to Marathi, um, which is currently at the moment we're seeing a lot of Doors of Cain and stuff. So that's really helpful. Um, but I'm pretty much using it now as like a board control thing being like I have it here um, And also you can easily just dispel it and just cast it again. 
It's just another way to dictate the board. Like the the, yeah. the Wildwoods already dictate the board quite significantly, and yeah. it's almost like uh, Australians will appreciate this. People who are not Australian may not get this reference, but it's almost like a cattle dog or a sheep dog, where you're really trying to herd them. So not only are you kind of stopping them from moving around things with the Wildwoods, but now with that pendulum, you're kind of trying to bring them in this way or this way, and you're you're restricting them and it's very unlikely that the opponent will have the the movement capabilities to um, to to really handle that additional movement or that pendulum kind of like avoid it or they're going to take damage. So yeah, um, no matter another, what, they're taking damage. Yeah, and 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 it's so cheap. It's such a cheap um, spell. Yeah, for D six mortal wounds, um, the pendulum I think is great. As Liam said, the reason Marathi is scared of it is because obviously she her ability to only take three wounds in a turn doesn't work in between turns, which is when endless spells get moved. So she can potentially take what copper full six in the face um, in between turns from that pendulum. Um, for me, the pendulum is, it's certainly a deterrent in saying, I'm going to put this here, so don't come that way. But if you really don't want somebody to physically be able to come through a certain gap, um, the other spell I would put in is the palisade because yeah it's a smaller model than a wildwood that is not restricted in terms of being placed one inch away like wildwoods um it has a low casting value it completely blocks line of sight um there's no unless it flies so you can use it potentially to fully block line of sight against an alarial or something like that um fit it in a gap it's not terrain so models actually can't climb over it so models on foot have to go around endless spells you you don't get to climb over them you fully have to go around them it's quite long. I think it's a good six, six, six or so inches long. If you just plonk that in the way, you can literally, even if a unit was only eight, nine inches away from you, you might actually make it so they just cannot get to you. Um, and then if they come near it on a five up, they're minus one to hit. You start combining that with the minus ones to hit against your dryads and people just have a really hard time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some people might be thinking to add in Geminids and stuff into the list. I currently at the moment would say not to add them into it because if your opponent, because let's just say this, sometimes you always want to take the turn because you want to heal up. So your opponent's going to move it and they're generally going to move it back towards you. Yeah. Right. It's a really good, so, it's a really good call out. That's for all predatory endless spells is something to consider. Um, um, because Sylvaneth, as we talked about, like we've got regrowth spells. We've got all these spells where like, if we take damage, we want to heal up. We want to, get back up to the momentum so we will take the turn to heal up right unless we feel comfortable enough that we go cool we can take a turn of damage then heal up if we don't think that we're going to take the turn like straight up so if you've got geminids on the table and that was because of you you're pretty much made yourself get hit so that's yeah. why i'm saying to anyone who's thinking i'm going to add in geminids i highly recommend not to and yeah, if i was I playing you with geminids i would be trying to t use those geminids to take out your branch rates um just because they're, they're of your army, they're so squishy and they add so much tremendous value in those additional dryads. So if I can just ping you once or twice with those or hit you once and then use an arcane bolt or something to kind of yeah. kill it, um, that, that that's valuable. So you want to protect your um your, your squishy heroes. That's, um, that, that's why I've been looking for Sylvaneth and stuff, looking at spells and stuff where they're going to not hurt me and just move forward to my opponent. That's Pend pretty much what I'm looking at. And Pendulum was, is a perfect example. That was the straight swap I did. All my lists, I think, had Geminids in before. When when you could combine them and do 2d3 mortal wounds, minus one to hit, minus one attack mm -hmm. against the same unit, 
Also yeah. expanding summoning range from like your artifacts and yeah. stuff or like Marathi. When they said, no, you can't do that. I was like, cool, Geminids, you're out. Geminids, I took out Geminids and I replaced it with the Pendulum. Because yeah, same. As, as Liam said, I think the effects that Geminids have, I prefer in terms of minus one to hit or minus one attack, minus one attack. plus mortal wounds. I like the flexibility of that and they move quite far. But I'm always thinking about what's the negative impact of this. And as Liam said, Pendulum cannot be turned against you. You know when you set it up, if you don't put yourself in front of it, it cannot touch you. Your opponent can't turn it around on you. They can't send it back. Whereas Geminids can. And like if you're running a Deathu who has a low number of high quality attacks where every single one matters and you get hit by a minus one to hit, or something like that, and you cop some more wounds in the process, you've just lost flat six damage on your sword, and you've potentially just had some misses that would have been hit otherwise. And when you spent the 40 points to put that in your list and your opponent turns it on you and does that, it's just it's not the right decision in my in my yeah. mind. Like sure I, you might heal I'm sure you might heal up with Dirthy. So let's say they took the D3 model wounds, you could heal up with regrowth, but you don't want to like you don't want to use that spell to cast regrow like maybe you don't want to cast regrowth at the moment yeah um, and you want to and you want to summon drives instead it forces you to be taking alarial in any list yeah. that you want yeah. to take geminids in because you are more covered against the mortal wound threat from them against you because alarial's auto heal will just heal it back um but alarial being hit with a minus one to hit massively impacts her damage output and um, so you just you just don't want it in my opinion yeah, yeah, I, I, exactly. I like it. I think, I think you guys have uh, put some very interesting... And we've talked all about board control. So, um, you know, t take a damaging spell like um, like uh, Geminids if if you see a strategy, but um, more of these defensive ones, even like Chronomatic... Uh, not Chronomatic Cogs, um, uh, the sh uh, Shackles. Even Shackles um, from a board control can be helpful. But um, now... I, also, there, is, there is one... Oh, I was just going to say, there is one thing that I have wondered about with the endless spells and dreadwood is potentially going all in that route and taking you're only really sacrificing maybe a branch witch or something like that and putting throne of vines on it for to boost your casting and then using the dreadwood redeploy to set it up six away take the purple sun and, oh. just, and just go throne of vines and then just lob a purple sun straight into your opponent's army on the first turn but We'll see if that works. Give it a shot. Give um, it a shot. Another thing I was going to say was, I completely forgot it now, um, when it comes to Endless Spells. Oh, um, when you're talking about order units such as Narut and everything, one army that we all know that goes into everything is Stormcast. So another Endless Spell you can add in is the Everblaze Comet. Yeah. Right? So I think that's... Take a Knight Encanto. Take a Knight Encanto. Literally just be like, oi, and since you're taking turn one, your opponent's your opponent's probably going to deploy in a bubble where they're going to be like, I don't want to get hit by you since you're going to like redeploy and do your movement shenanigans. So they're going to huddle up in a bubble and you go nine encounter, fire it. And that nine encounter literally just puts a comet in the middle of your opponent. They're taking mortal wound damage out of it. It's going to stay there. And then you just send in your lines, like send in your dirt through, send in your dryads over and boom, you've literally just... Your opponent's just going like shit. I'm stuck. So that's well, another literally nothing, nothing I can do, right? Like there's nothing you can do other, other than the the, the 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 most blessing of dispel rolls. I'm I'm screwed. Yeah. By the way, it's I think is it 36 inch setup yeah. the everblaze comet. So they could be 36 inches away and just pop it down there. So you can't dispel it. 
Yeah, so or assuming be, or be, that or be, you... Or be 31 inches. Be like yeah. 31 inches out. Be like, cool, I'm going to throw it at you. And you're... And the thing is, though, you can still keep your one-drop army, put it in a Narut or a Winter Leaf, which gives you an order unit or whatever. Boom, done. It's not that expensive either. It's 140 points. Also, she has one once per game unbind. Yeah. Be like, cool. You'd be like, someone's cast that, let's say, that Gaunt Summoner or um, Curse of Years or whatever with Legions and Negash and stuff. He's like, cool, I'm going to go it off. And the nine encounter goes like, not happening today, sorry. Boom. And then, and yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So um, that's another shout for you guys. So um, it's almost like I'm spot for choices. If I'm a Sylvaneth player, I've got so many great units, so many great formations. I've got so many great artifacts and um, endless spell choices. Um, no matter what my play style is going to be, um, there's always a great way of not only building, but also playing and responding to my opponent and moving. Um, however, the, the meta or however, whatever armies are popular, I'm, I'm going to have a good response or ability to respond. They generally have an answer for everything. You do. Um, that's, and that's what I love is they can. You can build pretty much anything, any kind of play style you want. You can respond to anything. You can build an army that basically can. But what I will say is what I said right at the top the top of the show, I think, is they are still quite a fragile army if, yeah. played, if played wrong. And they are an incredibly kind of taxing army to play. Um, and I think that's something that LLV, I think, in terms of talking about all the stats from um, competitive match play, has noticed is Sylvaneth players tend to go generally 3-0 and on day one and then lose at least one, if not both games, on day two. And I think you, it, burnout is a genuine thing with Sylvaneth yeah. in terms of playing. It's a, it's a tiring army to play. Because you really, all the time, you're thinking about your Wildwoods. And it might just sound, oh, well, it's easy. I just put my Wildwood down. I just have no. to get one, one inch away. But actually, subtly, the whole time, you're actually thinking about the rotation of the Wildwoods, the yeah. gaps but the gaps between the trees on the Wildwood bases, if you're taking something like a Durthu, because he doesn't, the base doesn't actually fit through all of the gaps. There's one it's only gap. like one gap. There's yeah. one gap out of the three that he fits through. So the entire time when you're thinking about placing that, it might be for a charge three turns later. You, you've got to think which way is the best way for me to rotate this so that I can not only fit the base within the restrictions, but then also be able to fit my own models, but also prevent my opponent's models from moving through gaps. Yeah. I know, Liam, you did it at Masters. You used the terrain on the table, combined it with your Wildwoods, turned them in certain positions so that yeah. great unclean ones, their base size, physically there wasn't any spaces that they could actually fit through. By the way, that took me a long time to work out. Like I was literally, I even said sorry to Gemma. So, and Masters, I was playing Gemma with a three Nurgle, great unclean one list. And I said like literally turn one, most of my turn one hero phase was literally spending time trying to figure out how best to fit the Wildwood. Like I was literally like turning it around trying to make sure that she couldn't come around or couldn't go anywhere to get that objective. And it took me a while to realize. And then when I got it set, she just stood there and just went, I can't fit through that. I'm like, yep, exactly. And then I went to the next one and just did, it's just, it's a very tiring army to play. And and Gemma was playing the Thrice Fall Battalion, yeah. which has three great unclean ones slash Rodicus. So, uh, and we are seeing more of those monster bases. We're seeing um, like heaven forbid a corn dragon getting in there. Um, obviously, a flying unit um, would be able to land on top, but essentially, like what you just said, is is pure gold. Is thinking about um, depending on where you play, some some areas um, ignore the holes in a Sylvaneth base. Uh, uh, a, yeah. a lot of a lot of places um, say that you can't move into that little circle. It's uh, in immovable terrain. 
Um, but you can block your opponent from getting into an objective or, or moving into a charge uh, by simply thinking about the way that you position that wild wood and the whole combination. So um, that's really, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, because like the rule states, right? If someone, let's just say this, right? Let's just say, for example, a Celestin Prime is a good example. He has got a quite a big size base. Um, I remember I was playing this guy with Celestin Prime and I turned my terrain and I moved my models in a certain way where if he try, if he even rolled a successful charge, he actually can't land because he couldn't finish half an inch because the holes were impossible. Yeah. So you go, so you pretty much can place your models as well. So even like the tree bases and stuff where you place them, even where you place your models, you go, cool. You can't actually, even if you roll that nine inch charge, you can't actually finish it because you can't finish half an inch. Like they could literally, I think it was like 0.75 of an inch or something. And my opponent was like, oh no, give it to me. I'm like, nah, sorry, dude, half an inch. Can't do it. Like you can't land. And it screws people over. And that's why I think, as we said in the start of the show, wild was a super important placement and everything is super key and you actually spend a lot of time figuring out where to place it like i'm pretty sure in our game anthony last week or whatever you saw me take a while placing my woods yeah yeah it's it's something that uh, it's such an important resource that i've seen sylvaneth players um rush and they just drop drop it where they want to drop and then yep. later on in the game they can't do what they wanted to do or they can't bring on other woods where they want to bring on because they've really stopped them uh, they've stopped themselves so it's almost like and i think chris you said it was quite tiring and that's often because you're thinking two to three rounds in advance like what, what, what are they going to do? What am I going to do? Where do I want my next batch? Where do I want, who do I want to be, who do I want to be moving and when and why? Um, so it's a co constant thinking and making sure you don't block yourself off um, in rounds to come. Yeah. yeah that's the and, thing as well in terms of blocking yourselves off the line of sight. Yeah. If for me, I'm generally favoring Colonel Hunters with bows and stuff like that. I, I'm trying to think, okay, well, if I put this wildwood here, Am I gonna gonna want to shoot something there? Does anything have flying? If it does, then I can set it back. If it doesn't, then I need to put them within one inch at the front. Um, but then I maybe don't want to put it there because I don't want to put myself into range of their magic. Because if I can see them, they can see me. Um, and there's just so many considerations that I think once you've been playing, once you've done three games, once you start heading into game four, game five, you'll, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be playing parts of it well you might position all your wildwoods correctly you might do all of this but there's a lot of rules and a lot of teleporting you just start to start to forget things or start to just not really consider all of your options because you have so many um and that's why i do love them as an army is because you do have all the tools and i genuinely believe this you have all the tools to pretty much always go five and oh at a tournament yeah i think that, i think they can beat any army i think they are and, and I think that's why I've stuck with them and I keep coming back to them, especially now, is any build, if you build it right, I think you have the tools to always be able to go 5-0 in a tournament and not be, oh, I got a bad draw or if I I don't think it should come down to just there's an army I can't beat. Because if you can straight away think of an army you physically can't beat, you need to change how your list's written, quite frankly, because if you can think of something that beats your army, it means that you already know that there's a flaw in your army. So write it differently so that it doesn't have that flaw. Um, and so I think you always have the tools. It's just about can you can you play the army well enough to its full potential to pull through and get those five wins? And, yeah. and so that for me is why I love it because I know it's always down to me and my skill as a general if I'm going to win it or not. Yeah. 
no, what, what really well said. Um, really quickly, I just want to touch. I, I want to touch on spell laws before I get into some more advanced, like you know, tactical. How how do you play them and the advice I want to want to get from you is. I've heard a lot about some of the most common um, Sylvaneth spells you guys use. So that's Throne of Vines, Verdant Blessing, uh, Regrowth. Um, are they the three core spells that you'd be going for? Um, have I misinterpreted? What are the spells that are priority for you? For me, Verdant Blessing and Regrowth. Um, Throne of Vines is not something that I have been taking much. It was always something I only ever took on a Branch Witch whenever I was doing the Branch Witch bomb. But in thinking more and more, and as I've been saying, the next kind of the main way I'm going to be focusing down in terms of how I play them is around Alaril and using the endless spells um, and using the portal is I'm going to be putting Throne of Vines on Alaril to make her casting more reliable and actually just having regrowth on a Branch Wraith, which it worries me, honestly, in having my one source of regrowth only being on a five win hero but knowing that that five win hero can be hidden from line of sight really easily because they can just sit in the middle of a wood and that they're going to be probably minus two against shooting if something can see them because they're minus one anyway from being near a wood and minus one again from being near dryads probably so i feel fairly confident that i can place it in a position that protects it but still be within range for Alarial, especially if i'm using a portal because I can cast regrowth through that portal. There's nothing to say that I can't then use that portal in a later turn once Alarial's moved away if I needed her to, to still put the regrowth through it and extend the range. Um, but for me, they're the main two, and then I would add Throne of Vines. I don't really touch the other three. Yeah, Liam, so, anything different? Uh, I touch Verdant Blessing regrowth. That's generally it at the moment. Um, I used to play around with Tree Song a little bit when I first started playing um, Sylvaneth because it was a bit of fun. Um, at the time, it only really works if you have if you target a Citadel Wood that has one base, but you just can't move it afterwards because it can't be moved within three. It's a one where the woods go off, and if whatever lands is wholly within on the Wildwood um, can move, the tree can move, but you have to move. Can't be more than you can't be less than three inches away from enemy models or terrain. So again, so, it's like the Tree Lord Ancient problem. You yeah. will not. You won't have a Wildwood that is not within three of another terrain feature or model so tree song i just see as another way of guaranteed setting d3 more wins yeah of just doing d3 more wins and if you're casting it next to that wood you've then got the chance of rolling a five up and five doing up. it again yeah um, that's it so i i put tree song in as a do i want to do this as a damaging build but i think talking about it i think using the endless spells and using the portal is just a better way to make use of your already built in damaging spells that just have short range and just extending the range of your spells that way rather than tree song because it's a seven to cast so i think it's the highest of any of them um and i just found it really not reliable for doing much and it's only d3 mortal wins at the end of the day i think yeah. you're better off just you can cast regrowth heal yourself and then still on a five up do mortal wounds anyway yeah. so um for me i kind of moved away from tree song yeah uh, and, and, another... and, and and tournaments are now taking on uh more of the realmscape features so um Maybe maybe the damage dealing is within the realmscape instead. So, uh, Liam, yeah. you say something? Uh, another spell I think we should give a quick shout is the Dwellers Below. Um, I think that's a pretty cool spell. I know Hayden used it against me when he played Sylvaneth when I was playing my daughters at Sydney Slaughter. And it took up quite a lot. Um, what it is, it's Cosmic Ray 7. Uh, pick an enemy unit within 10 inches. You can easily buff up that range with artifacts and stuff if you have it. So 
similar to the silver circuit stuff, just bump it up to six inches. And um, the Bearwind Vortex, again, bump it up. Um, so this is really good for Narut build. So if you have the branch witch bomb going off, you yeah. can also have this one going off as well. So that, that branch witch is going to be like, oi, witch elves or whatever, take it out. So pretty much, Cast value seven, pick an enemy unit within 10, or you can buff it. Um, roll a dice for each model in that unit you picked. So it's really good to wipe out hordes. So 30 Witch Elves or 30 Zangors, everything that's like in a big bulk. Be like, cool, roll a dice for each model. Um, on a six, takes a model wound. So it's like, that's, it's similar to the, the Gaunt Summoner. That's, yeah, literally what I was about to say. That is the, that, the, that's the Gaunt Summoner spell. However, though, Gaunt Summoner is on a four or more. This is just on a six. So the Gaunt yeah. Summoner is a lot stronger. True. But the other thing with the Gaunt Summoner is it's models within that range, not the unit. So you could literally have a unit just within 10, but you still affect that whole unit. Yeah. Does it make sense? So I think this is actually a little bit better, but also at the same time a little bit worse. So it's a bit balanced. So I think it's a bit more balanced version of the Gaunt Summoner, in my opinion. Sounds like a great horde killer considering... Um, I would say that uh, more armies are now putting more bodies on the board. Uh, so very valuable um, uh, spell to have up your sleeve. Yeah, exactly. Um, like for me at the moment, every single list that I've been writing for other armies, such as Doors of Cain, uh, Legion of Blood, my Slanesh and stuff, it's heaps of bodies. So if I saw someone with Doors below or whatever, I'd be like, okay, cool. Like I need to avoid that caster because that's going to hit me. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I a mean, cool spell to shout out. Like, I wouldn't say it's an auto-include, like Burden, Blessing, Regrowth, auto-include. If you have enough casters and you've got Narut, give it a go. I think if you took Narut, you could take the Reaping potentially as well. Um, you'd be giving up Throne of Vines, but you could potentially double up on the, or double down on the Branch Witch Bomb um, if you take yeah. the Reaping in Narut, because you can, the Reaping is um, cast on a six, all enemy units within three inches suffer D3 mortal wounds. So again, if you're putting that on a model that's on a Bailwind for plus six and with the Silverwood Circlet for plus six, it's suddenly all enemy units within 15 inches are taking D3 mortal wounds. And if you cast that through a portal, again, you can probably from turn one, especially now that a lot more scenarios you set up 18 inches apart, from turn one, you can probably hit almost everything in your opponent's army for D3 mortal wounds. And then if you also cast Branch Witch Spell of Unleashed Spites, probably hit again all of those units for another one or two mortal wounds so potentially from one model you could wipe out foot characters and you're doing it to every unit now, so like let's, doors let's of talk... or something like that that's got three maybe hag queens on foot all clustered up and you smash them with that and then you think maybe you took the knight encounter with an everblaze comet yeah. and you drop you drop that down you probably can reasonably reliably not on two crazy dice get this off and just take out all foot heroes in your opponent's army turn one from you completely also, disarm the death star just yeah just through a, a few a few little cheeky cheeky I was, combos i was literally going to say the exact same thing if we wind back and talk about what we did with the nine cantor add in the branch witch bomb with that spell and her spell and the um all the portals and stuff right yeah i would say you could successfully take out the three hags quite a few witch elves because they're all going to stay in a bubble, right? They're all going to stay close, right? I reckon you could actually also take out the cauldron pretty well. Yeah. I reckon you could do 13 mortal wounds if you roll quite hot. So there's um, one thing I want to bring in here from Harvest Boon, which is probably the build I would look to maybe do this in alternately, is Harvest Boon get a special artifact. I don't know if yeah. you can talk about it. The Tear of I, Grace. I did so say it, but I said don't the, use it. The, the bearer always gets an extra spell. 
and then they also get to add three inches to the range of all their spells. So this yeah. would let you put it on two models. So you could have one model with plus six inches from the Silverwood Circlet. You could have one model with plus three inches. And then you, when you're using the portal, you're using Bailwind, you can put something through that's got longer range from the Bailwind, maybe doesn't need to use the portal. Then you can use the other one with this three, like through the portal. Um, so they get the extra spell that they know. So it, it, it could be useful, but um, it doesn't let them cast an extra spell is the only thing. So you'd need to be doing it on something that was going to, say, use Chronomantic Cogs to rewind time or cast a Bellwind or something like that. But um, yeah, there's there's options there for all of the spells, but the main two are definitely regrowth. Yeah, so those are the two main ones. Like most times when I write my army list, I have one that has Verdant Blessing because you can only cast one spell per the rule of one. Um, and I have two with regrowth, so in case one dies, I still have a backup. Yeah, yeah. And, and in previous lists that we've played together, you've had um, three branch rates, and uh, two have had regrowth. Just for that reason, is you want to make sure that you, um, if one gets disarmed, you've still got one um, still up your sleeve, uh, and yeah. they're and they're relatively cheap as well. So there's no reason not to take an extra one. Yeah. Um, this is great. I'm actually quite scared that I'm going to be creating a couple of Sylvaneth monsters. From, from who's watching us, especially if I place somebody who has watched this video and they've gone out and done what you guys have done, I'm completely screwed. Um, so thank you guys. It's all right. Um, thank you for, yeah, I mean, we're not wrapping up just yet. I, I probably want to get to some more mastery and I think probably throw at least two more questions to you guys. I know we're, we're wrapping on almost three hours, so I probably wasn't expecting this much knowledge to drop. So you guys are, yeah, are slaying it. Um, um, I'm not going to lie, when me and Chris recorded an episode like a year ago, we honestly thought we were recording like an hour and a half episode and it went for three hours as well. Like, there's just uh, so much to talk about. I, th I thought two hours. I thought, oh, these guys would do two hours. But um, so much just happened to Sylvaneth, and um, I'm certainly hungry to learn more considering um, it was a great army at the start of Age of Sigma. It's only gotten better, yeah. and it's almost like it's, it's an army that people are rediscovering, and with Malign Sorcery, um, with uh, new armies coming in, like the um, the Marathis and the, and the Deepkins of the world, you know these were synergies that were never available in in the original Sigma. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some tactical pieces, and you know how do you how do you like what what's the advice that you would give a new player um, who's going to start Sylvaneth? Know your decide just right at the start. Decide on your playstyle. Yeah. Do you do you like aggressive combat armies? Do you like defensive combat armies? Do you like defensive ranged armies shooting? Do you like heavy do you magic? Like magic? Do you like do you like hordes? Do you like big monsters? Do you like do you like shenanigans? Pick, know your style, and then look to one of the. I'm gonna take out Ironbark, but it's yeah. still there. But for someone that's starting, pick one of the four Wargroves. Um, and even then, I'd probably nah. Dreadwood's still cool. I would um, still say take Dreadwood because so yeah. Just... Pick pick Nalroot, Dreadwood, Harvest Boon, or Winterleaf. Read them, decide which one you like, and which one. If you decided you like Dryads, for example, like you like Hordes, I'm gonna straight away say okay, head towards Harvest Boon and Winterleaf because yeah, they're the those ones. Those two are quite similar. You're taking Dryads anyway. You have to take them. So great, take your Dryads. If you prefer the tree revenants or the spite revenants, that should immediately tell you if you want to take Nauru or if you want to take Dreadwood. Yeah. But always remember, 
any of them can take any of the units because the great thing is you can fill them out with any sylvaneth units you want and yeah. you maintain that one drop so for those so, people who love the kind of hunters don't worry they can be in whatever list you want yeah. a anything you want but, it's more about the baseline yeah i, I would say if you want a combat charging art if you want a charging army which generally is going to be a combat army probably look at harvest bone if you just want magic go naru and then if you want some kind of mix if you like flexibility um and stuff like that then i would look at the dreadwood slash winterleaf mix in between if there's an order unit that you love that isn't sylvaneth go immediately to winterleaf if it's a wizard go to winterleaf or naru and then just just yeah basically that's where it'd start and then you tailor down in in any of them your artifacts and stuff probably aren't going to change in terms of you're probably always taking ranu's lamentary and you're always taking acorn of the ages no matter what of those four you pick because they're so vital your woods are always going to be vital and yeah kind of go from there really if you want to take the monster mash dreadwood's probably more your fave because of being able to redeploy a slow one and get potentially move three of them straight up the board um because yeah with with plus move if you took a dirthu with for example the realm item um what's it called the cloak um that lets you fly and plus four move thermal rider cloak. oh yeah uh, because yeah. that way you can reposition one dirthu six away or you can just move if you've got your dirthu with a thermal rider cloak he's movement nine now and Alarial's movement 16, maybe you take Dreitcher as well, knowing that with your, if you only roll one on your stratagems, you can just pick the one that lets you move up to three units. Dirthu can move nine, Dreitcher can move 10, Alarial can move 16, and then in your first turn, they can all move again. All of them are going to be three away from your opponent. So that's something where guaranteed you want a monster mash in your opponent's face. You know you can't fail to roll a one on those stratagems. And if you've built in that plus four move onto Dirthu and given him fly so he can hop over screens, then yeah, you like Monster Mash, you want to do that, you go Dreadwood. Like if you want magic and like support heroes and stuff like that, go go Nalru. But to be honest, you can do anything in any of them. But yeah, yeah that's probably my, that would be my starting advice. Um, another advice I would ask for a person is see how many models they want to push around. Um, the cool thing with Sylvaneth is you can do bare like small model count or you can do the massive hordes um even though massive hordes are more competitive than a lesser amount i would like, if you want to do like not too many models i would say you go narut because you got to have a tree lord ancient and then you would probably want to dirt through and other things like as a combat thing so i would say narut for like lesser models and then if you want to go for a bit more of a horde winter leaf and harvest spoon as well that's probably a cool thing as well to uh, think about and dreadwood i think you can do a bit of both um you can do heavy massive dryads um, that's generally it. Um, advice for getting started and stuff as well is pick up. I would honestly say don't pick up eight bases of trees straight away. No. I would also say pick up probably one to two bases. So you have one starting and then one to do acorn so you can get the idea of getting the hang of teleporting and stuff. I would buy um, the box. I'd buy the new box that they released. Oh, yeah. I think you get four. Three. Three. Three? Three, I think. Okay. I, think I think it's three. I think it's three. Okay, yeah. I would buy I would buy that and just play single base Wildwoods. Wildwoods, so yeah. just to get the hang of the teleporting and stuff. Really I think that's really good. Still, and if you've and if you've watched this video, the whole 
time we've talked about the importance of, of the wild woods and the positioning and the summoning and 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 the movement and everything is 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 centered around that so i think that's a great piece of advice is start small and yeah. just slowly build that muscle and i it, would say if you want to play sylvaneth you have to be prepared and you want to be able to compete you have to be someone that is willing to paint up to build and paint and always bring with you the trees a lot, a lot of wild woods and trees because most tournaments you go to will mandate that you have to bring and play with the trees you now, will find yeah. it a much more enjoyable experience using the trees in the bases rather than just seeing holes i'll be honest because i used to just leave them off and i much prefer playing with the trees it looks it makes the table look much better but yeah. you need to you need to know that if you're going to embark on a sylvaneth army you are going to have to buy and build and paint a lot of wildwood bases so if you don't like that sylvaneth's not the army for you yeah and, and it's probably no worth calling out if you're tra if you're a traveler you need to bring those with you and if you if you're someone like me who flies a lot um i need to think about how i'm bringing up to eight bases worth of the trees with me on top of my model so yeah um logistics is is super important if if, if that if you're in the same shoes that i'm in yeah like i and the other right, thing for right me yeah. don't don't glue the leaves on if you're going to travel with them. Yeah. Um, and the other thing as well is the why only start with not just eight, like don't go off and buy eight trees. It's just not because of pricing wise, but also just because there's going to be times and situations in the games where you can't fit two bases of trees as one Citadel Wildwood. So getting the hang of only fitting one Citadel Wildwood, practicing with tight spaces and stuff is going to be super helpful for you in the future when you do have those eight, but then you go, oh, wait, I can only fit once you can just so the thing is well your play style has to change like you have to be flexible when you're playing silver f where everything's not going to go right for you like you might be thinking i'm going to fit all the bases in but there's going to be sometimes where you're going to turn up to a tournament and some tournaments now i've been seeing this are bringing in bigger pieces of terrain yeah where you can't actually fit like one set of wildwood as two bases so well early early sigma we, we'd probably have up to six pieces of terrain on a table yeah. now now we're seeing nine to 12 pieces of, of terrain and, and yeah. exactly what you just said, the terrain pieces are getting bigger. So the likelihood um, of getting maximum bases on the table um, is very hard. It's very unlikely. And I think um, preparing yourself to only have minimum is, yeah. um, is, is a great thing. It's, it's good practice. So for someone who's starting out, just practice doing singular bases um, I think is a good shout um, just because you're going to be in that situation where you're going to turn up to a tournament and you're going to be like, okay, cool. It's going to be tight fitting. I can do this instead of practicing with all the bases you have just from like zero practice of one basis. And then you're going like, oh, how am I going to do this? Like what's going to happen? Um, so I think that's, that's one huge thing. It's probably also worth calling out that more of the armies now are getting their own terrain piece. So, um, you know, Nurgle. you're going to Pardon? We got Nurgle, you've got a Deepkin, you've got their boat, um, the Moon Clans, um, Gloom Spider getting their own terrain piece. So, so we're just adding more, we're adding more and more and more stuff to the table. So yeah. um, the, it, the interesting part as well is now. Um, so Nurgle and Sylvaneth terrain have to be set up at the same time. So we have to roll off for it. So that's a pretty I would say pretty important roll off because some Nurgle people are gonna try and make sure you can't get that hotspot. Right, so that's one thing. So when you're going up against Nurgle, that first roll off is actually pretty important because you guys are going to be screwing up each other's hotspots. If that makes sense, 
right? Yep. So no, so no so, players want to set up a, a feculent Narmor and they can slingshot with a run and charge yep. if they're within range of the Narmor. So they're looking to use their terrain piece while you're looking at using yours. So yep. positioning is so critical. So that's important. Now the second one is Deepkin, right? Deepkin has to set up after I think we roll off the side. So after the Sylvanef Wildwood's been deployed. Yeah. So now they're pretty much gonna they got a pretty cool part where they get to respond to what you've done. Yeah. If that makes sense. They're gonna respond. So pretty much you've given them a question and they've given you an answer and they've kind of and they also can block off. So if you're going for an alpha strike charge, they're gonna be like, cool, not happening today. They can literally set up in front, so they're making you move around. So that's yeah. when we're looking at artifacts that Chris has mentioned where you can fly. So making Dofu fly is super important where you can make him fly over the shipwreck. It's cool. It also prefer- means, for the worst, hope for the best. It also yeah. means, the other thing I didn't mention, with the artifact of making Dofu fly, is he no longer has his line of sight block by, by being behind a wildwood. Yeah. So that does mean your opponent can see you, but it also means he can teleport behind a wildwood and shoot and stuff. fly over. Yeah, and, and fly over. And also fly over. So, um, yeah, I think Thermal Rider Cloak is a good choice on Dirty. But... Um, so those those things as well. We don't know what the Moon Clan setup is like yet, so I'm not going to say anything yet. Um, also, Hearthstone. Hearthstone's pretty much generally in your opponent's deployment yeah. because they want that buff. So don't worry too much about that. But I reckon Nurgle and Deepkin are huge um, counters to Sylvaneth when it comes to answering what we want. Also, um, they got to they can block off like where you can fit in another wood like especially the deepkin one that's a huge footprint mm. and the other thing as well is the deepkin one the way they've worded it it's two gloom tides and the shipwreck can be glued together so you can actually have two big shipwrecks so if a deacon player is really down in some money to have the two big shipwrecks that's a huge footprint that they're laying on the ground as well so generally Generally, both players will know, looking at the table, where are the gaps that yeah. the Wildwoods can fit. And if I was playing Deepkin and I had those two boats, I would not be thinking at all where I would want them for me. I would, I just, would, I would I'll just be screwing up until that player. That hole there, they're going to try and put a Wildwood in. Not happening. I'm putting my boat there. And that yeah. hole there is where they're going to try and put their acorn. I'm putting my boat in it. And just going, no, you get your one at the start that I can't do anything about, but now you're going to be in trouble or they're going to be right to the sides of the board. And that is something you've got to watch out for Deepkin because they can do that if they place their boat smart. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, as a Sylvaneff player, um, you'll get away with it the first time you play somebody. If someone's never played against Sylvaneff, they won't know how to handle the Wildwoods and you'll get free reign. But then the more an opponent gets experience with Sylvaneth, they know your tricks and they are going to try to stop those bases going off. That That is priority number one. So yeah. um, it's some, there's something actually while we're talking on things that you're to be aware of that your opponent potentially can do in terms of actually being able to impact where you can place your Wildwoods despite not having a turn is Zinch. If Zinch players take the Changeling at the start of the, like the start of the game before the game begins, they can deploy him anywhere on the board if but it's after models have been set up so i would wait see where my opponent has put down the model with acorn of the ages from that you know the exact space they're going to try and set up a wildwood and i would and just place it right over there put the changeling in the middle of that space How, however is the wording is that he doesn't actually exist yet so can you actually place it under him no he's still he's still there he's, he's still, still there okay he's still a yeah. model so yeah, he right. tre- he's treated as an ally model until he's revealed so yeah. i that's something to be aware of is any Zinch player with a changeling can also just shut down your acorn. That's pretty cool. Didn't even mm. they have that. to 
they have to throw away the changeling because you'll be able to then just go over and deal with him sure but to be honest they've they've neutered your acorn um i mean maybe not huge. if you can go in and kill the changeling and then clear the space and hold on and use the acorn somewhere else maybe well you can't well you but can't clear him off probably, because he's not probably revealed. not so yeah it's just something to be aware of people playing zinch and using the changeling um he can shut down where you can place a wildwood what you could do though with the changing though let's just talk about the changing at the moment because that's a huge thing you could cast your verdant blessing spell right and you're out of range of the um lord of change let's say right you're making your opponent now think do i want to stop that verdant blessing so they would probably have to use the changing to dispel and make him revealed and then try an arcane bolt and take him out I don't. I think yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Potentially, I, I think a smart player. But would but just, if anyway, just know, just know that, uh, that if you've got a, something like a changeling, um, there is going to be the the acon could be a great way to reveal the changeling early. At the same time, it's a tool that might stop you from from doing what you need to do initially. So I think I think practicing these worst case scenarios um, goes back to that point is is, is invaluable experience. Yeah. Um, Finally, probably the last question I, I have for you guys, unless you anything else you want to discuss, is is there any final top tips based on all of the experience, all the games that you guys have played? Um, is there anything else that a Sylvaneth player needs to know um, from your experience that, that would help them? Always think one, if not two turns ahead. ahead. Just always be looking for those small gaps where you can fit one wildwood base and do a trail nine inches away and just sneak objectives not with charges the object most objectives being controlled with a six inch zone of control these days make them much easier if people move off their objectives to just trail dryads to a wildwood and make a conga line get one or two dryads just enough to outnumber them not need to engage in combat there's nothing they can do to stop it if they've left those spaces for you is just try and see them and just try yeah. and set, set the moves up ahead and honestly dryads are the reason you'll win most of your games because not only are they bodies that are tough to go through but it's because they are big units that once teleported they let you do big, they let you do big long conga lines which can let you steal objectives so ultimately the dryads are the things that we need the game um i think chris can agree with me on this um if you're running either harvest moon or winterleaf you'll rely you got the forest folk battalion if you really need a charge with your dryads like really need that charge do that once per game um dryad teleporting so what forest folk can do is you redeploy um everything in the forest folk um, within three inches of a wildwood, not wholly within, just within three inches, nine inches away from your opponent. This is important because they don't have to roll for the travel through the realm spell because there's so many times where you really need those dryads to get that charge. And when you teleport them through the wildwood and you roll that one, you've got now a stuck unit of dryads. So doing that teleporting um, shenanigans where you pretty much once per game move nine away from your opponent, you go cool. I can now charge comfortably. Like, I can now do a comfortable charge. Not like saying successful though, but don't have that scary part of rolling that one. Because you have, let's say, three to four units of dryads that need to make a charge. You can literally just be like, cool. I can now safely say, get that charge. Does it make sense? Agree, Chris? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's something I talked about when I talked on my podcast about masters and the the learning point for me in game five that the kind of the burnout i guess got to me of realizing 
the strength of forest folk because until that game i'd never done it i'd never really seen the point of it because you can always set up nine away and then i finally kind of realized if you take harvest boon or you take winter leaf so either of the two battalions that use forest folk you they are the ones where you don't want to deploy your dryads off the table in table. the enclaves you always put them on the table even just your tens you either backboard edge them put them right out the way or clump them onto the existing terrain pieces because that's not going to get in the way of where you're going to place your wildwoods and then at the end of your first hero phase or at any point in your hero phase after you've used your acorn you've used verdant blessing etc to set up your wildwoods you use your forest folk once per game redeploy and you can put those dryads anywhere on the table provided they're within three of a wildwood and nine away from your opponent or anywhere within your deployment zone, regardless of not being within three of a wildwood, you can just put them wherever you need them to be. So it lets you basically, it's it's effectively the same thing as deploying them off the table. Your opponent doesn't see anything because you're just chucking them in corners. They're not going to be at the end of your first turn. They're not going to be where you put them. They're just out the way, but on the table because the important thing is they need to be on the table for that redeploy. And then you can put them anywhere without getting in the way of setting up your woods. Um, and that for me is what forest folk is for. Yeah. Um, talking about putting things sitting off the table. Um, I remember when I first started playing Sylvan F and I know most Sylvan F players do this, um, you get the habit of putting a lot of things in the woods to make that mysterious, like telling your opponent, like where everything's going to be kind of thing. Um, you'll start realizing that that's useless. Um, uh, especially now with movement, as I said at the start, movement is key in this game now. The only unit that I ever believe in the Wildwood, like set aside, are Cone of Hunters. Because it's really annoying when they teleport and they roll that one. I'm like, fuck. Sorry for the language. Sorry. Um, anyways. That's um, all right. That's all right. Uh, it's 10 o'clock. So I'm imagining all the kids are at bed. Okay, uh, cool. Or, or they're no, watching I, this with their parents. Okay, cool. Right. Because I'm just like, it's super tiring. And I know he, that you went to this PG. This, 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 this is the tiring that we've been talking about is that we've been uh, streaming for three hours now. Um, yeah. and he, he's now hitting that game five wall. Yeah, so um, I never want my kind of, the only kind of hunters that I put aside, um, the only unit I put aside is kind of hunters because they don't take the risk of rolling that dice, if it makes sense. Everyone else, they can roll it, if unless it's forest folk. I can just do that once per game. You just want a safe bet. Like, so for example, for my harvest moon list, right? Everything that's in the harvest folk, so my three branch wraiths and my three units of um, dryads, if I do that once per game, Forest Folk move, I don't have to roll. And Durthu, if he rolls a one, he's not tangled because he's a tree lord. Because the special rule says tree lords don't get affected. So Cone of Hunters, I leave them aside so when they come on the board, they don't have to roll and they're still nine away. That's the only thing you're going to start learning that you want to start everything on the board. You don't want to leave anything aside. That's pretty much the best thing I can say. If Chris agrees with me, sweet. Yeah. But generally, you might be thinking, oh, it's really cool. I can do a storm cast kind of teleport thing. Don't do it. It's yeah. unless, like, unless you, you, you only. You think you're being clever and going, oh, my opponent doesn't know what I'm doing. But to be honest, your deployment doesn't matter because you teleport all over the place to your wildwoods anyway. Yeah. So your army, you, it's not going to be where you deploy it at the end of the first turn. And your opponent already knows you're going first. So. Yeah don't worry about trying to be clever in deployment and denying your opponent knowledge of where your stuff is by deploying it off the table just put it on the table so that you can't roll those like you can't have the chance of rolling those ones because you use the forest folk redeploy or yeah. like liam said you put kernoths down 
like in the woods you do that sure but that's only to avoid having to the possibility of teleporting and rolling a one like yeah. it's you don't need to hide stuff in the trees because you're then restricted by not being able if you do deploy from the trees you're not able to tail out every model has to come down within three of the wildwood so yeah. you're, you're actually limiting your own movement if you do that yeah um so yeah basically start stuff on the table like the only unit I would say is kind of hunters. That's it because if they because their damage output is quite thing and they have to roll for it, so that's it really. No, excellent advice. Anything else you guys want to um, mention about Sylvaneth um, before we start wrapping up? I'm Just, sure I could I could talk about them forever, but uh, yeah. I know I know I know I'll, you guys I'll, could. I'll I think it, I'll leave it I, there. But yeah, I think the one thing to say, and I think Chris can agree with me with this, um, especially if people are new to competitive AOS, um, and you're Ask your opponent if they've played Sylvaneth before. And if they say no, please take the time to explain everything because you don't want people to leave with a foul taste of this army. It is a tricky army for even your opponent to understand how it works. Like, even if you're learning, it is so hard for your opponent to understand what the hell is going on. So just generally, just with this army, um, there is a reason why there was a bad reputation of it in Edition 1 because a lot of people had no idea how to what to, what's to go of it. So just... Take time, explain it. I know Travis, when he was playing RCGT two years ago, he made a little booklet explaining his opponents what arm, everything, army, like what his army did. Um, so something like that for your opponents when you're going to a competitive scene, just be kind and explain to them what Sylvaneth is because it is a tricky army to understand and it is a tiring army to understand even for your opponent to follow. And that's generally it, really. I can talk yeah. about it forever. And but, you know, this is this is general tournament talk. Is that you want to beat your opponent on tactics, not on I gotcha, gotcha moments. Yeah. So. Um, and, and you're 100% right. Um, as a Sylvaneth player, you uh, it, there's so many complex and different rules to every other army. It's um, If I haven't experienced it or maybe I've only had one or two games, it's quite hard to understand the, the rules and the intricacies. So um, explaining to them, um, uh, giving them even the opportunity, do you understand what Wildwoods do? Do you know this? Do you know this? Yeah. And don't just ask them, do you know what my army does? Because most people don't want to look like an idiot and go, yeah, no, I know, I know. Uh, and then halfway through the game, um, you've, you've had the little tricks that you could have handled right at the start, but uh, in actual fact, um, they just like, weren't comfortable or confident. Like, perfect example, right? Wildwood's getting off on a six inch, within a six inch of casting a spell. If your opponent goes within that um, Wildwood, I always just say, hey, are you sure you want your wizard to be there? And if they go, oh, yeah, 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 I'm like, okay, cool. Because if you cast a spell, the woods have a chance of going off. Yeah. And they go, oh, okay, thanks for reminding me. Like, stuff like that is just yeah. I mean, tricky things of, like that. Blocking line of sight, which is a new um, FAQ update. Yeah. Um, people may not, uh, they may, you know, old old Sylvaneth um, that didn't block line of sight. Now it does. Yeah. So um, just, I, I, you're right, courtesy and just going through some of the biggest tricks. You don't, don't tell them your strategy, but like you tell just don't, them. You don't want someone to like cast a spell, right? And they have a whole unit in the wildwood and you go, oh, and a five out the woods go off. And they're like, oh, wait, what? And you just go, oh, yeah, because you're within six inches. You don't want them to be like, oh, didn't like, you don't want to be that dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's yeah. just it, really. The la yeah, the one tip I would say for gameplay is get yourself a starter box or find some of the 18 inch whippy sticks, cut them in half and have a bunch of nine inch rules, oh, like nine inch I have measures. Like, I have like four because now. Because the, ent the entire army t is always teleporting nine away. So just being able to lay a load of them down and it just making it really clear where you can put your models, where you're teleporting to between your opponent's units that you can fit. 
it just speeds up gameplay massively um, because you just can't do it with a single tape measure. So just having a bunch of those nine inch sticks is really, 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 really important. Yeah, so, I have I have like four now. They're super helpful. Honestly, I think I've got about 20. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of plenty of gaming companies, you know, like Pro Painted, I think have them and like yeah. just check, check out like, you know, AOS accessories and you'll find a whole range of these um, extended combat gauges, which are up to nine inches. So um, yeah. highly, highly recommend them. That's it, really. Um, and also, just enjoy playing this army. It is so much fun to play, even if you're losing. You're still having a ball. And if um, anyone's, yeah. if anyone's, um, like, watch this, listening to this, and wants to chat to us more, um, you can just hit either of us up on like, yeah, Twitter, Facebook group, or yeah, hit me up on Twitter at Wounded Mortally. Um, send a message to the Mortally Wounded Facebook page. Anything like that, I'll see it. Um, and yeah, I, I'm happy to chat Sylvaneth all the time. So. So yeah. Chris, Chris and Liam's details are going to be in the comments uh, section. So if you want to hit them up on Twitter, you want to find them on um, their, their Facebook pages, so the Mortally Wounded page, for example, um, highly recommend it. These guys have been playing Sylvaneth for, since it's since it's been out, so that's, what, three years now. Um, and, and they've been doing it competitively, and they have a, an amazing track record of performance. So um, you've got a, two people of real authority here. Um, so I highly recommend um hitting them up, listening to their advice, trying things. If it doesn't work the first time, keep practicing. Um, it is a game, uh, especially an army that um, has a lot of nuances and things that um, can be hard to pull off. So just keep practicing and practicing and trying things out. Um, this has been great. I, I've learned so much. Hopefully I haven't unleashed any beasts for CanCon or any tournaments I'm attending. Um, hopefully no Americans watching this because I don't want to play anyone in Adepticon who has listened to this and go, oh, yeah, that Chris Welfare and that Liam, yeah, they're great. They taught me this. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's your uh, fault. It is. I, 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 Tyler. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no Tyler's. No, no, oh, no. no, 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 nobody listen to these guys. Um, but as someone listening, as someone who's aspiring Sylvaneth player who would like to get that maybe as their next army and someone who plays against them quite a lot, this has been great. I've learned a lot. Um, you guys are masters at Sylvaneth, so thank you for imparting your wisdom for three hours. Um, quick reminders, if these guys want to find you, if someone wants to find you, where can they find you, Liam? Uh, so Twitter is Shadowhammer underscore, um, because there's a band apparently called Shadowhammer that took the handle, bloody bastards. Um, and my Facebook page, Shadowhammer, the Age of Sigma podcast. You can also find me on the Warhammer Age of Sigma Sydney Australia page or group page. Um, I'm an admin there with... Um, the coach um, so you're more than always happy to hit me up I get people hitting me up all the time I chat a bit on the Age of Sigma Sylvaneth page sometimes I rant because some people just trigger me um, and I'm the villain like what else can I say like if you piss me off you get a rant um, so that's where you can find me and and Chris where can people find you uh, at wounded mortally on Twitter because again mortally wounded was gone um, <laughs> mortally wounded Facebook page or I'm also in the Sylvaneth WhatsApp group. If you're in that or you ask someone to be added to it, then I'm in there as well. Can you add me? Along with loads of other people like Laurie Huggett Wild and stuff. Um, so that's a really good place for if you all things Sylvaneth as well. So if you if you want to be invited to the WhatsApp group, um, I can't put the link because um, that encourages spam bots, but I'm sure you could privately message Chris and uh, ask him nicely to join. I'm, I'm not an admin, but I can try and get you added. Oh, uh, well, Thanks, I'm sure Chris slide you a few dollary dues and um i'm sure you can let us in maybe
All right. I think we're wrapped up. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned so much. I hope you guys have learned. Uh, ironically enough, after our tech glitch, we actually went live and we've had people watching us. So that's been pretty cool. <laughs> so I, I, didn't, I didn't tell you guys until the end. So we've had people watching, um, which has been amazing. Uh, but uh, it's been wonderful. I've learned a lot. Thank you very much again. Uh, we will do more faction focuses. So stay tuned. Uh, until then, happy war gaming. Hope you roll lots of sixes and ones. Thanks, guys. Peace.